I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. <laughs> Matt. And Mel. <laughs> and we're a bunch of hoopleheads. <laughs> Welcome to the Season 2 finale episode. We have a guest with us today. Please welcome to the podcast, Sue. Hello. Hey, Sue. Oh, hey, Carol. How you doing? Good. Long- I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know, I know. I was just thinking I needed to. You guys are wrapping up Buffy soon. I need to uh, send you guys some feedback or something. Yeah, we're recording tomorrow night, and then next week, and we'll be done. Yeah. Sue is the Sue half of Sue watches Buffy. Yes, a podcast about the television series Buffy the Vampire Slayer As well and as Angel. Oh yeah, and Angel too. And Angel. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's me. And you are also on the podcast, Yes Mother, the Bates Motel podcast, with your sister yep. Emily, who we've had on our podcast here twice now. Twice, yep, yep. Emily's my sister, and we do those, the Yes Mother about Bates, and then the Sue Watches Buffy about Buffy and Angel. Now, Emily's a newbie watching Deadwood. Are you a new viewer or a veteran? I am a little of both. Um, when Deadwood was added to Amazon Prime... I, like, mainlined the first two seasons, like, (laughs) watched all of it in just maybe less than a week. And then I have not seen season three. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to kind of being a newbie for season three. Oh, that's great. You and your sister can send in feedback together. Exactly. Yes. And you will not binge watch. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I'll do it. Slowly. I will. I will. So. Yeah, I had heard, you know, it's just one of those shows that if you listen to podcasts about TV, everyone talks about how great Deadwood was, and I always wanted to watch it. I love Westerns, so I knew I was going to like it. So once it was added, I was excited. Well, excellent. And I hope Amazon doesn't pull any funny business with their HBO programming before we can finish. (laughs) Yeah. That would be terrible. (laughs) It would be. (laughs) It would. We have a Reader's Theater today. This is a... An article about Christmas, so it's very appropriate for the time of year that we're recording. And our reader is Christiana. She did a great job last season with the Negro Peculiarities. Oh, yeah. This one's a lot less racist. A Merry Christmas, Black Hills Daily Times, December 26th, 1877. All nature seemed glad, and in consonance with the feelings of the people celebrating one of the most joyous days of the year. The day was ushered in by a discharge of firearms by a demonstrative few and an exchange of seasonable compliments by all. Our city was full of happy people who, flocking in from neighboring camps, thronged the streets and resorts, enlivening the place to a degree equal to Deadwood's earliest days, that we have no accident, no disturbance, and but little of an unpleasant nature to chronicle attests the good spirit that universally obtained. Gift-buying and gift-making, of course, was the first order of the day, and as a result, the many stores presented a beautiful and animated appearance in their immense new stocks and crowds of purchasers. Next in order came sumptuous repasts, and in this particular there was the greatest rivalry between our several hotels. 
Ubiquitous as reporters are, their gastronomic capacity is no greater than that of other mortals. Hence it was we were forced to judge of the merits of many tables solely by optical evidence. Seeing is believing, however, and we therefore unhesitatingly declare that all tables were of the very best. Judge Soller of the Soller House prepared a feast indeed fit for the gods, a banquet, in fact, whose excellence in every particular would scarcely be expected in a Sherman or a Palmer. He cannot give the menu, but suffice it that oysters, fish, boiled and roast meats of all kinds, including turkey and game of various kinds, vegetables, relishes, and a long list of pastries, including the mince pie of our mothers, jellies, creams, etc., were features of the bill. The room was tastefully adorned with greens, a large banner displaying the motto in evergreens, Merry Christmas, being suspended from the ceiling. Many transients dined at the cellar and united in loud compliments to the host and indefatigable houses for the richness of the repast. At the IXL, we observed the same painstaking and successful efforts to gratify the eye as well as the stomach that have given to this hostelry, under Ben Hazen's management, such great repute. The room was decorated with evergreens, in festoons and devices, while the tables were pictures in themselves, being radiant with frosted cakes, colored jellies, polished silver and crockery, while curiously arranged napkins and cutlery added much to the effect. The cuisine was perfect. Turkey in abundance, game and meats of all kinds, entrees, relishes, desserts, jellies, creams, and fruit were open to punishment and were wrecked by a large company. The Welch dining room, trimmed with evergreens, was also crowded with permanent and many transient guests. The bill of fare included all seasonable meats and vegetables, and a long list of pastries, confections, etc. The Grand Central, Gregory's, Palace, and Wentworth and Anderson's also put forth extra efforts and presented an array of goodies that would make the veriest epicure smile. Joe Billings, at the OFC, entertained his many friends in a liberal manner, greeting one and all with a decoction of mum's extra dry, punched, and which, so drinkers said, was very nice. The Christmas festival of the Sunday school of the Congregational Church was, in every sense of the word, a success. The decorations of the church were fine, and the three Christmas trees loaded as they were with their presents were simply beautiful. The church was crowded to suffocation, many not being able to gain admittance. A sweet little song by little Carrie Lamer was pleasantly rendered, and the Christmas carols by the Misses Laura Wagner, Carrie Higgins, Molly Brown, Maud Denny, Ella Brown, Georgia Winroom, Minnie Travis, Sarah Bennett, and Maud Warner elicited special praise. Several pleasing songs were well rendered by the school, after which old Santa Claus was heralded, having just arrived, as he said, by the Bismarck coach, without molestation from the Indians, and each member of the school was by him presented with presents consisting of books, toys, refreshments, etc., etc. An especial feature of the entertainment was the presentation to the Reverend Mr. Norcross by the superintendent of the Sunday school, H. H. Mund, in behalf of the Reverend's friends and citizens on Deadwood of a purse of $123. The entertainment was under the direct management of Mrs. Lamer, Winram, and Graves, to whom exertions was attributed its success. 
as also the assistance of a number of other ladies and gentlemen. The Sunday School numbers over 100 scholars and teachers, and all participated in the exercises of the evening. At the theater, jollity reigned supreme. The house was crowded, and the audience sat through a very long bill, but that they did remain attests the excellence of the three plays presented. We have not the space to review the entertainment, nor do we think it necessary, for it seemed that everybody was present and enjoyed the best laugh of the season. The unpleasant features of the day were few and far between, and scarcely worth mentioning. A couple of men went into Little M's saloon, Lee Street, last evening, where a dispute over cigars occurred. Later in the evening, one of the men went into a saloon in the lower end of town where a friend of the woman expensed her cause and laid the gentleman out. A slight disturbance occurred in Hanley's saloon, Central City, in which a person was tapped over the head with a six-shooter. He was quiet for a few moments. Pistol whip. It's a weird ending to an article. So long! <laughs> Such a big, like... Pleasant party that ends with pistol whipping. <laughs> also, it seems like this author was judging each event as, uh, you know, like who attended. And if everybody attended, he's like, eh, I don't need to describe it. <laughs> I got caught up on the very beginning when there was guns being fired into the air, I which know. is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> People worked hard to find that, that metal and mine it and then craft it into a bullet and then you just go waste it. Also, and half the time it comes down and kills innocent people. Yes, that. <laughs> it's not a waste. <laughs> yeah, that they're is... celebrating. <laughs> also, all this description of food made me extremely hungry. We are already hungry. <laughs> I, I like I like that. Um, I'm not going to tell you the menu, but there was turkey and chickens and pies and this and that and fish and oysters and <laughs> roasted meats and... The rest oh. I will leave to your imagination. <laughs> Describe it again, and there and was cakes pasta. and jellies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you asshole. <laughs> Every place had the exact same description, so it's mm. but they managed to describe it three, four times the same way. Oysters must have been the thing back then. Well, it would have been a, a real delicacy because they're nowhere near any place where oysters would grow. How would you transport those without them becoming like rancid and poisonous? <laughs> No idea. They'd have to ship them in, in salt water. Keep hmm. them alive. Oh. I, I also like how Santa doesn't like the Indians. <laughs> he only likes the little white children. <laughs> I didn't know you guys were worried that when the IXL restaurant went from uh, Van Deniker in McHugh to Ben Hazen Esquire that the quality of the holiday, holiday dinners would go down. Uh, but no... Rest assured, Christmas dinner at the IXL was a success. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Christmas miracle. Yes, a Christmas miracle. <laughs> the uh, the church, the congregational church, was it that was like so so full of people that it was suffocating? Mm-hmm. Reminds me of when my family spent Christmas Eve in New Orleans, and we went to this. Catholic church and it was so crowded in there there was no first of all there's no room to sit and there's just so many people that I had to leave and get fresh air and that's when I saw um, some police arrest a prostitute (laughs) wow (laughs) Mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve Mm -hmm. outside the church Merry Christmas to all I was coming home from New York City when I used to live in the city Um, I was coming home for Christmas and it was always tricky to get, it was just a commute, it was just commuter buses, but it was tricky to get on those buses 
you know, on Christmas Eve because like everybody was just packing them. And I had seen sometimes when people would literally ride in the luggage racks on top, they'd, you know, crawl in there. It was just because the bus drivers didn't want to leave somebody, um, Christmas Eve just stuck in the city. So I, I wasn't able to get my regular bus. And I had to go to a town nearby and my dad picked me up. It was like one in the morning and I'm standing there in the bus stop. And these guys pull up and start asking me if I want to party and stuff. And, I'm like, <laughs> and they apparently thought I was a hooker. And I'm like, really? Ooh, wow. In this fairly small town in New Jersey on, on Christmas Eve, do you expect a hooker to be standing here? Nice. I didn't know this about my town. <laughs> Surprise. And, and did you go with them? <laughs> my, I was waiting for my dad, so it just oh. wouldn't have polite at all. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. yeah it I wouldn't mean, have been polite to be a hooker that night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you for reading that, Christiana. Super long, but you did a fantastic job. You can hear more of Christiana on Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast. And she also does the audio drama Space Casey, which I believe that she writes and performs. So, thank you, Christiana. <laughs> This is episode 24, Boy the Earth Talks To, written by Ted Mann, directed by Ed Bianchi, original air date, May 22nd, 2005. It is morning, we're in the gem, and Davy the bartender is supposed to be guarding Wu, who's being kept safe at the gem, but Wu sneaks out. He goes to Chinatown, and there's a bit of violence. One of Wu's men hacks a tall celestial in the back with a hatchet, and Mr. Lee, that San Francisco cocksucker, shoots another one of Wu's men in the back. Wu wants to take on Lee, but Johnny drags him away. So things get off to a violent start. I think I I said one person dies. (laughs) That's right. We had that how many die thing. Yeah. Not looking good for me. It's It's looking pretty good for Carol. It's looking pretty good for me for once. Surprisingly non-violent season compared to the last one, but a lot of bloodshed in, in this one. Yeah, that whole last... Well, we won't get it. When we get there. Uh, they also, um, in the middle of that scene, um, they also had a uh, had Al watching the stagecoach, watching Hearst arrive, and it was like, oh yeah, Gerald McRaney, that's right, I remember who, who I was spoiled on after all. <laughs> I could not for the life of me remember who was going to play Hearst, but as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, okay, so Hearst. It's Major Dad. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Actually, I always think of uh, the TV series he was in where he played a half-brother and sent detectives in San Diego. Or brothers sent in San Diego. Um, I can't remember where I've seen this guy from. Everything. He's been in a lot of movies and stuff. um, Playing judges and Colonels and stuff like that a lot. So when he climbed off the stagecoach, did you recognize immediately that that was George Hurst? I guess. Yes, because yeah. of because I knew it was Gerald McCraney. I don't know if I would have realized it was George Hurst if I. Well, he's a big enough actor. 
Not a very grandiose entrance. He's just a guy climbing off of a stagecoach. I lost that bet, too. What's that? I lost that bet, too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, um, I thought it was interesting that he was very much a, um, the way he was dressed and everything else. I mean, he was dressed nicely, but it was working clothes. You know, he was not dandied up or anything. Well, that fits his background as a guy who works with his hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, is he, is he William Randolph's, like, dad or grandpa? Yes, he's his father. His father? Okay. And what's funny is that Chris Hardwick of the Nerdist podcast is marrying a Hearst descendant. No way, really? Yeah, yeah Patty, Patty Hearst's daughter. Right. Really? So that would be this guy's great-great-granddaughter or great-granddaughter? William Randolph. Um, I think William Randolph was Patty Hearst's grandpa, so it would be... oh, it was great. So it'd be his great great granddaughter. Right. Marrying Chris Hardwick, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a model or an actress. Leon and Jack the bartender debrief Sai on the killings in Chinatown and Hearst's arrival, and Sai feels annoyed that he's on the outside looking in. Yeah. Poor Sai. Don't we just feel so bad for Sai? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> Take a whole lot more than that to feel bad for Sai. <laughs> that first cut of um, Seth and um, Martha, I just like yeah. the bullocks at home. But I didn't realize they're kind of, it's almost like they're sitting Shiva or something. I mean, not that they're Jewish, but. I was I, wondering that too. Are they sitting in the corner of a room staring at a wall? <laughs> they're staring at curtains. Yeah, well, they're, they're, and their house looks a lot more furnished than I remember. Open the damn window. <laughs> Well, I just wrote down that they've got the most awkward and boring marriage ever. <laughs> do they really do? <laughs> well, just, this relationship never ceases to amaze me about how awkward it gets. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if that was where they had him lying in state, and now he's gone, and they're just facing, still facing the windows, just kind of, you know, yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's where, like where the casket was. Yeah, and I was once wondering, they took it away, they're like, well, they're just we kind of. Sitting, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, in this scene, they're sharing tea. Seth says he would be delighted if she went forward with her plans to teach the camp's children. However, she's afraid she'll scare them with her mournful black dress, which he is obligated by custom to wear for a year. Oh, really? Okay. Well, don't wear. Then, <laughs> then don't wear it. Yeah. Well, that's what you're saying. She doesn't want to lose him. I think that was what she was talking about. She doesn't like. She doesn't want to not the morning thing because she doesn't want to lose. You take off the dress, you immediately forget your dead child. <laughs> or, you, or you give the impression of forgetting your dead child, maybe. maybe or, it's all impression. Right, like, right. Like, what people think of you, like the perception. But, but I got the feeling for her it wasn't, you know, that. And I never really thought about it before, but I could see someone feeling like, you know, like kind of hanging on to that mourning as, as still being connected to her child if she hasn't, you know gone out of mourning yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's just a guess on my part. The way she was talking about it, how she didn't want to lose him, she didn't want to lose him. Yeah, probably. Makes sense. Well, as awkward as they are, it's also kind of sweet. And yes. Uh, Seth has been very supportive and, and sweet to Mark. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He has so been like everything she now. wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, as, as, yes. So as awkward as they are, I am shipping them now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I hope they can make the relationship work. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe yeah, they'll have so. a kid of their own. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe they'll steal. They'll steal Kreblorn. <gasps> <laughs> what did they do that for? Just because. 
Why would they do that? Maybe they'll steal Alma's baby. Yeah. Oh my. Drama! Well, it is his. Yes. It'll be like uh, on The Young and the Restless when Sharon gave birth and Adam switched uh, her babies with with another one or something like that. With the dead baby. She thought her baby had died, but it was... Oh. Maybe both families will have joint custody of this baby. Mm. Yeah? They should just become one big family. Yeah, aw. We should move into a house together. Yes. Ellsworth and Seth should become brother husbands. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be weird. <laughs> or maybe it was Ashley's baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Your knowledge of soap operas never ceases to amaze me. But he, uh, <laughs> he tried to make the mother think that her baby had died and gave the baby to another person. So, <laughs> is the, is, the gist of it. Anyway, Al has assembled his incompetent fucks. He's angry that Wu snuck out, but angrier that Johnny brought Wu back to the gem, tipping their hand that they're allies. So he slugs poor Johnny. Aw. E.B. is going to approach Hurst and tell him that Al has one of the chinks in custody. Also, E.B. has diarrhea. <laughs> I do not know why Al is okay with sending out E.B. as his uh, messenger. You know he's gonna fuck it up. Why are you doing yeah, why does he let him do anything? Yeah. Well, that was always Harold's point. Was why do why does Al keep using E.B. when E.B. Yeah. messes everything up? Yeah. And does he ever? <laughs> Mess everything up, even his pants, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised later on when he fell over that he didn't shit himself. I know! <laughs> Me too. Well, maybe he did, but maybe. he just didn't show it. I was looking for the brown stain. <laughs> he pointed his ass right at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> At Mr. Farnham's absurd restaurant, the oatmeal is clotted. Hurst <laughs> appreciates that Wolcott has handled the acquisitions of the claims, although he still wants that Garrett claim bought. Hurst isn't ready to see the operations just yet, as his back is troubling him. Oh, here comes E.B. E.B.'s going to invite Hurst to meet a local luminary, but pardon him a moment. He has to <laughs> suppress some flatulence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man, E.B. What a first impression, though. He, like, leans on their table and everything. Yeah. I think Garrett Dillahunt is trying to suppress a laugh. <laughs> I didn't see, but I want to watch it again now. <laughs> he puts his face in his hand, and he turns kind of away from the camera. Like, he can't stop laughing. <laughs> He's about to start laughing. It's very amusing. Also, uh, Sai told Khan to go spy on them, so it's kind of funny to watch him just situate himself a foot from their table but he also has that hernia so he's like it's painful for him to stand but he's all but he's like in the background it's kind of amusing <laughs> everybody's sick this episode now that i think of it yeah what the hell does al have a al's still having problems peeing yeah yeah that yeah. sounds like he's got a prostate problem yeah is he getting another stone i hope not okay <laughs> Is he still having problems, or was he telling Hurst that... I thought we saw him later trying to piss in a pot and yeah. failing. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was peeing. Just peeing. Mm -hmm. He was just really, like, in pain, though. Like, And I thought I heard him mention it, too, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he said, he said in present tense that he's having problems. Yeah. Maybe he was doing that just to uh, ingratiate himself in Hurst's presence by sharing their misery. Maybe. I didn't think Hurst was present, though. No, he was saying... Yeah, he said to Hurst. Oh. Hurst has a back injury, and Alice saying, I have a prostate injury, and... Yeah. 
Ellsworth is in mortal misery, particularly because the camp tailor is suggesting he wear lavender mittens. Saul suggests maybe you don't wear them. But what if they were Alma's idea? Uh, anyway, today's the day. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I just love that Ellsworth called the gloves cocksuckers. <laughs> <laughs> they were really, like, his whole wedding outfit was damn ugly, though. I it was, skipping ahead, uh, I'm sorry. Skipping ahead. It, it really was. It was bad. Yeah. And the gloves didn't really fit him very well. No, they were too big. Yeah. And, and what's the, they were and too lavender. <laughs> what was with that? Well, it's it's the rage. <laughs> the rage. No. <laughs> I don't know. We learn that Alma invited Al to her wedding. Kind of weird, since he had her first husband murdered. Hmm. Al accuses Davy, the bartender, of taking a bribe from Wu and fucking up his plans. Davey denies this. He fell asleep from holding three jobs. Have we seen this guy before? Yeah. yeah he's been tending bar. I assumed that Alma, you know, invited Al because uh, they have business together now. Also, thanks for killing my no-good husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, she sat, later on, she sounded kind of guilty about that. Thank, thank you for freeing, <laughs> freeing me from that wretched idiot. <laughs> Well, he was foolish, but he wasn't so bad. Would you have married him? Hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> For the money, sure! Sure. <laughs> I was thinking that Davy must become instantly afraid when Al starts to talk to him, because he's probably used to his boss ignoring him. Yes. And it's like, oh boy, I really <laughs> yeah. fucked up. Yeah, I don't think I've seen him actually talk to Davy for more than a, a sentence through two seasons. E.B. brings Hearst into the gem. Upstairs in Al's office, Al passive-aggressively compliments Hearst on hiring Mr. Lee to burn the bodies of the Chinese sex slaves. It saves cargo space uh, when transporting their remains back to their homeland, and it terrifies the unburnt. Uh, well done. <laughs> he seems to have no idea what any of his people are doing. No. Well, he hasn't been around, so how's he He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's a hands-off guy. He just doesn't want problems. Right. Al offers to behead Wu, but all Hearst really cares about is securing the color. Services Lee provides, Wu can provide, if it means no disruption to the mining operations. But first, Al's man will have to prove out. So basically, he's condemning his own man, Mr. Lee, to death. Because for him, it's just about business, and the life of his Chinese worker means nothing. Mm. Right. Cold. I thought he was. I thought he seemed perturbed at first about the burning <laughs> of the bodies. I think he was, in that, you know, it didn't sound like something that would keep everything running smoothly it sounded like something that would be disruptive and would not not be reflect well upon him that was the feeling i got that's the feeling i got too that he's just all about the the gold and he doesn't want he doesn't want what goes on with the prostitutes and stuff to disrupt anything right so al was you know al did was damn smart as usual Mm-hmm. And brought it to him in such a way that he could read the guy um, and see how he reacted. And and uh, when when uh, Hearst didn't seem to be particularly thrilled with this whole idea of having burned burning prostitutes' bodies in the street, um, you know, he took advantage of it. Honestly, though, if he wasn't so cold, he probably wouldn't have made it this far. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's a reason for. Him being the way he is, I guess. I forgot to mention that I really like Al's career advice to Davey to quit a job before you fall asleep on it. 
<laughs> so, good advice. Once again, Al, life coach. Yeah. <laughs> In the pilot, Trixie acquired a gun by giving Jewel a brooch to sell. It turns out Jewel kept the brooch. She gave she gives it to Trixie for her wedding dress. Aww. So, how did Jewel purchase the gun then? Sold a piece of pussy. <laughs> Okay, can, I wasn't how, sure what they were talking about there. How can she sell? Did she? Is she talking about her own? I yeah, just, I think that's so. what I but, took. Yeah, no. okay. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what she says. I think she was joking. I think it was a joke. But how second, did she get the gun for, then? For a second, I thought she acted as some other whore's pimp. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> I thought she was like, uh, you know, if Al walked out or something, she would have been like, "Oh, hey, like I got she, this whore for you." Like she, they're working for her on the side. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Jewel yeah. is kind of, uh, you know, I feel like she's smarter than she lets on. I think so. But I think she was referring to her own. I think she was choking. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we've seen her be very cheeky. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hurst wants to buy Evie's hotel. Evie says he's a madman and his hotel is his hospital. Hurst asks, would he take $100,000 and stay on as manager? E.B. agrees, and the money will be sent over later. Um, so isn't that about the same amount they offered him before? Or what did they offer him before? When he had the freak out. Oh, I don't remember the exact amount. Um, I, think- I think it was, because that's what I thought, too. Because didn't Alma offer to buy it? Yeah, so his issue is just that he needs to stay on his manager, then. Or did he just say yes because he was confronted face-to-face and he couldn't hide, he couldn't run away this time or something? Probably oh. both. Or just feels more intimidated by George Hurst than Alma, the widow. Mm-hmm. Or Yeah, and she would have thrown him out. Well, right. Here, he, at least he gets to stay. Right, because she can't stand him. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, she's probably moving out anyways, so it probably doesn't matter to her now. Yeah, I was wondering at the end where they were going to be going. Yeah. yeah. And So is E.B. just pretending to be crazy, or is he truly crazy? Oh, I think he's crazy. Seems to have gone insane. Yes, <laughs> but I don't know. Because I'm like, what's his angle if he's pretending? It just seemed odd to me. Well, when he's alone, he seems just as nuts as when he's... <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, he just, especially when he fell in the street and and was going on about how he had to have, what was it? He had to have a place, otherwise he'd wander the streets, uh, gibbering like a simian and, and, <laughs> and grabbing his... Privates or something? I don't remember mm-hmm. what he said. <laughs> That's basically what he said, yeah. <laughs> when he was just doing that whole thing and fell in the street and all of that, I was just like, okay, he, all along he's been so, more and more and more so the, very similar to uh, a Shakespearean buffoon, the comic relief in a tragedy or whatever. And uh, just the language and everything else, I just, it was just like too much to, to not comment on. It, he's He's definitely gone over the edge and there's there's no question about it hugo has brought to al terms of the annexation deal he's hammered out with yankton via telegraph correspondence now i know you guys hate the annexation talk but i do find al's dislike of hugo to be very funny and i love how hugo doesn't know how to stop talking (laughs) yes (laughs) i have students do that all the time they'll hand me something to read and then they keep talking because they're nervous (laughs) And you're finally like, no, just stop, leave me alone, let me read what you just handed me. (laughs) I really like Stephen Tobolowsky's performance in this, it's very comic. Yes. So so what is the, is the performance, Stephen Tobolowsky's performance that people didn't like still coming? Because I haven't seen anything that he did that... That's 
It's the only bath- Harold's, uh... The bathtub thing. Yeah, the bathtub. But that, again, that's not his performance. That was the direction. Like, that was the scene they wrote for him. I enjoyed the bathtub scene. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I like Stephen Tobolowsky in this a lot. There's a couple scenes with him and Al in this, isn't there? Or is there only yeah. one? Uh, there's two, basically. Yeah, there's a couple. This one, and then I know there's one toward the end where he's signing the documents. Or where it's whatever. like the, that silent scene. One, yeah. Of the, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the two scenes is the one I was talking about. I'm pretty sure it must be the one I was talking about last time where he was interviewed. And I, I told that story, right? Where he was interviewed yes. and they didn't know their lines. Yeah, just the way just the way it was cut. Yeah, the way the scene cuts. was cut, it was they cut after every line. They cut to the other character. Cut back. Cut back. Cut back. Yeah, so that was definitely that scene. <laughs> and I also forgot. Did we already talk about how Al was in Australia for a couple of years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> it was unexpected. How do you travel that far in that time? <laughs> And make it back to America. Mm. I don't know. I just, I guess it's baffling to think about, but. Well, so if he was, he's been he around then. If he was originally from England, he could have ended up in Australia. Yeah. Maybe, but his, he was left, uh, at an orphanage when he was a child by his mother in, uh, somewhere Chicago. in East Chicago, right? Mm. Yeah, Chicago. So, it must have been, it must have been after. So when he was an adult, he traveled. Yeah, it must have been when he was, a. Uh, an adult or a youth, mm. <laughs> but why Australia? That I mean, that would have taken so long on a ship. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's he was trying to make money or something. Yeah, or maybe, maybe he was worked on a ship for a certain amount like, of time. Ended up in Australia for part of it, like jumped ship in Australia and then had to get home. Maybe, yeah, I could see him doing something like that. In a parallel scene to Trixie standing in front of her mirror, getting prepared for the wedding. We now go to Jane, feeling foolish in her clam-on-a-half-shell dress. <laughs> Joni explains wearing the same clothes to nuptials the week of a memorial curses the bride and groom forever. Moe has asked for work as a watchman, although they are a vacant structure at the moment. <laughs> I love Jane and Joni. Yeah, I love that Jane admits that she hates wearing underwear. I'm like, <laughs> she usually, she probably doesn't wear underwear at all, I guess. I find it more, yeah, less comfortable... To not wear underwear. Well, I guess I didn't wear. Well, that's your personal they... choice, isn't it? But I didn't. Under... I don't wear the underwear they had back then. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The underwear they had back there, back then, I'm pretty sure was really itchy and uncomfortable. Mm. I don't know. It looked like cotton. Maybe. Um, but... Of course, she's used right. to wearing buckskins. Right. Leather with nothing under. <laughs> I just love how Jody's like. Pretty sure she's just making up all those superstitions just to get Jane to. Oh yeah, dress nice and wear underwear. <laughs> that's that's. I'm pretty sure that's why superstitions came to be. Anyway, it's just trying to get kids to do things that they don't want to. Do. Exactly. Like, why do you think Santa exists? It's because you want your kids to be good for a little while. Please, someone is watching you, and they won't give you presents. <laughs> Jane Jane figures that out too, and accuses her of just making stuff up. I know, she's like, is that another ritual, too, or something? Superstition? <laughs> sticking with it, she's, you know, she can rhyme groom with doom, so. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't she say something like, I'm losing all respect for you now? Because <laughs> you believe this garbage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, with that whole thing with Al and uh, Tobolowski, one of the things is, like, he, Al has totally played Yankton. He's getting, you know, it's just... 
The I, maid, I don't understand this thing still. He convinced Yankton that somebody else wanted to make Deadwood a next Deadwood. Montana one to a next Deadwood. And okay. so Yankton now has a competitor. So they can't just run roughshod over Deadwood and just send them, oh, we're just taking over. We're going to send our commissioners and they're going to be in charge of you. And you're not going to have any votes or anything else. And we're just going to decide what, what happens to you. So Al made a, made them think Montana wanted them. So they had to actually deal with Deadwood and give them representation and, you know, whatever else. And that's what's going on. That the commissioner came back to Al and said, here's what we're offering you if you'll sign up to be part of the Dakota Territory or whatever. And so, so Al is negotiating. He's got more to back him up so that he can get more rights out of this. Right, exactly. Because now they think that, that they have competition rather than being able to just dictate terms. Yeah, which so Al, Al can dictate terms more to his advantage now because of that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what he and Adams were doing, were figuring out what terms they would accept becoming part of the territory of the Dakotas. But one of my questions from actually earlier in the season, I never asked it because I didn't really want to get into it, but why doesn't Montana want to annex the Black Hills if that's where the wealth is? They might have, but Al would rather, I'm sure, just be in charge of the negotiation rather than actually get somebody from Montana involved. He'd rather have the illusion that Montana is involved. No, but I mean, why doesn't the, the state uh, just... Well, the territory. Want, or the territory. Why doesn't the territory just want the Black Hills? Like, why aren't they making their own moves toward they're, annexing it? Matt, they're lazy. They just don't oh. want the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's just too much work. Too much work. <laughs> they feel about it the way that you guys feel about it. It's just... Oh, this is not interesting to us. Yeah, like fuck <laughs> you, you take it, Stephen Tobolowski. You can take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the in this Jane Joni scene, there's a really weird cut. After Jane says the word malingering, there's a super weird cut. Oh, um, what is? Click on the link in the Skype chat and skip ahead to the um, 30 second mark and watch when she says malingering. How quickly it cuts away. Oh, that is a weird cut. <laughs> what did it cut to? I I couldn't see it. It cuts to her, but it like a side side shot. But it happens so quickly after she says mal. It's like it cuts before she finishes saying the word malingering. Yeah, and her- you don't see her move her mouth to finish the word malingering. Yeah, it's a very weird cut, and I expect better from you, show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was like a another person in the in the shot or something that they were trying to cut out or something weird like that. There was some kind of cross at that time and they had to cover it or yeah, there's yeah, weird. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe Jane couldn't say the word malingering without like spitting or something. So they- <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be perfectly in character for Jane. So. <laughs> well, that was yeah, cool. Khan's hemorrhoids are still bothering him as he briefs Sai on the interaction between E.B. and Hurst. Sai walks outside and finds Hurst in a trench in the thoroughfare. Is that what that was? Yeah, in fact, we've heard that. He's his groin? Oh, yeah. His, he was... he- his hemorrhoids. Remember when he was pulling the sled and he but couldn't pull it hemorrhoids... any longer? Cause... Not what? a hemorrhoid. Um, 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 what do you call hemorrhoids it? Hemorrhoids are, like, in your butt. Oh, did yeah. it? What? It's oh, a I'm hernia. Uh, a hernia. I wrote hemorrhoids for some <laughs> <Okay>. reason. 
was like, hemorrhoids of the penis? What? Ah, I don't know why I wrote hemorrhoids. (laughs) I thought he just really had to pee. No, I think this is his hernia. Okay, I thought, because he was like pinching the end of it or whatever, I was like... Looks like he really has to pee. <laughs> it's like, you know, when little kids hold themselves? Like, that's what it looks uh-huh. like to me. Well, he's an adult. He can go to the bathroom anywhere he wants to. Why would he be... I don't know! I, I, that's what I didn't understand. I was like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> oh, no, I'm I'm fairly certain he... When he was pulling the sled, he got that hernia, and now it's still an issue. Because it's only, what, two days later? Yeah, it makes Thereabouts, sense. so... I just Five. forget from week to week about what happened in the previous episode. Because so much happens that I can't remember every single character's ailments. <laughs> <laughs> you need a, a lot happening. I need a chart. I need a chart! <laughs> <laughs> a Deadwood ailments and injury chart. <laughs> <laughs> so Cy walks outside and finds Hurst in the trench in the thoroughfare. And I think we talked about how there was often mining going on in the streets themselves. <laughs> Her says it was it's tapped out. It's out of color. But Sai says, well, I was told to act on all offers, so I bought this whole off uh, Marvin Soames. Well, Hurst is glad that Sai was comprehensive. Then Sai just can't resist spilling the beans about Wilcott's tendencies, and Hurst appears to know, but not to care. Yeah, okay. And I think so, everybody kind of assumed that he did know, but later on we find out that he didn't. Well, yeah. yeah, we're told that he knew. But that he, he knew, but he didn't know that it was still happening. No, I don't even think he knew what happened the first time. He didn't know it was murdered the first time. He just and sent his letter because he was asked to. Oh. He didn't know that the the guy was murdering women. Ellsworth is preparing for the wedding by cleaning his teeth. I couldn't discern exactly what happens here, but according to the transcript, he's scraping his teeth and he inadvertently injures his gums. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's what happens. I it thought looks, he was pulling out his teeth. It looks like he was trying to, yeah, pull his teeth like, out. I thought he was m- trying to make himself ugly for Alma. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand why. I was like, why is he trying to make himself toothless? <laughs> or pull out a rotten tooth or something, maybe. No, it just like, it like it he was like, just scraping them really I hard. think it was time for the yearly tooth scraping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As Alma walks through the camp, she speaks to her deceased husband, Brahm, in her thoughts, which is an unusual narrative device for this series. Yeah. She says, "If unless this is anyone's quote. No. She Mm -hmm. says, I am afraid. I am so afraid that my life is living me, and soon it will be over, and not a moment of it will have been my own, and of how my body now tells me that is fine and right. But Ellsworth is a good man, and Seth remains here as well, the man she loves. Yep. I really like that. I'm so afraid that my life is living me, and not a moment of it will have been my own. Oh, I really like that. Mm. It's sad, but eloquent. She's becoming a parent, so that's pretty much the state of things. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. David Milch says, Alma's first marriage to Brom Garrett was a sham, and a loveless relationship whose purpose was to settle her father's debts. Her subsequent marriage to Ellsworth is a way of giving a name to the child that Bullock has given her, and she discovers that however you start with whatever misperceptions, you accumulate certain behaviors until what you believe about yourself is ultimately refused. So she does a couple of kind things, and Bullock does a couple of kind things, and that generates a momentum, which does not always produce a kind outcome. Hmm. Well... I like Ellsworth a lot. So as much as I was a Salma shipper, I'm very happy that she's agreed to wed Ellsworth. So am I. Me too. I like Ellsworth a lot. Yeah. I think he'll make a good dad. He's so cute with Sophia. 
He really or is. Krevlarn. He's, he's <laughs> already a, he's already a good dad to her, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Boy the Earth talks to is what the Indians call Hurst. Talks to you too, Francis. Surprisingly, Hurst has had no idea that Wolcott has this compulsion to kill women. When Wolcott needed Hurst to write a letter to the Jefe de Policia saying he'd be grateful for adjustments made in Wolcott's case, Hurst just wrote the letter without even pondering its purpose. When the Earth whispers to Wolcott, it says there is no sin. Hurst says we must sever our connection. And he seems genuinely appalled. Yep. So, yeah, he's appalled by that, but not by the burning bodies of the of before there. Yeah, but they didn't think of them as people, remember? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if he, I think the more he has to deal with the mess himself, the more appalled he is. The closer, the closer whoever it is, is to him and to bringing the mess to his door, the more appalled he is. Yeah. And isn't it kind of odd that he would write a letter on behalf of Walcott, not knowing what he's writing it for? I don't know. That, that seems uh, dumb. (laughs) Um, well, I mean, they were in Mexico. Yeah. And, you know, Mexico has its own, you know, set of customs as far as bribery and, you know, other such things. He must have thought it wouldn't have come back to him. Yeah, I guess so. And And that it was, you know, you were my advisor and you had a job to do, so, like, I didn't, I really just didn't care. I trusted you. You know, okay, so he did some kind of indiscretion, no big deal. And he probably didn't think that it was murder. Murder, right. Yeah. They say and I don't see any reason not to believe that he didn't think it was, even if it was murder, that it wasn't murder of three prostitutes, you know, in cold blood. Al has asked for assistance in studying Yankton's proposal. Among Silas's contributions, timely fashion for elections means nothing. So how about something concrete, like six weeks? And to be eligible for election, a period of residence not less than two weeks. Oh. Al wants the bribe taken off the record. These are really smart mm-hmm. changes to the document by Silas. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see his um, the clerking that he did for the judge kind of paying off here. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I he, thought the requiring the two weeks was very smart on their end. Yep, and you can tell that uh, why um, Al brought Adams into his his little fold. He's a good judge of uh, of people. Mm-hmm. No two ways about it. From his balcony, Al tosses an envelope to Trixie and Saul, a gift for the a gift for the bride from her child's former tutor, Miss Isringhausen. And I assume that this is the document that he had Alice sign, which confessed to the Pinkerton ploy to steal Alma's claim. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. One of my notes is, in 24 episodes, how many scenes have we seen of Al pissing in front of other people? <laughs> oh, God. This seems like it happens a lot. He is not... Uh, He's shy. Regarding Saul and Trixie, David Milch writes, Once you start to be kind to somebody, even if you try to take it back, it continues. The kindness continues. At a certain point, Al conspires to get Trixie to fall in love with someone else because he wants her to be happy. Hurst instructs Captain Turner to take a bag of cash to E.B. E.B. giggles and takes the bag into his back room so he can part its leather lips and then he does a gross thing with his tongue. I I know, I wrote down, E.B. is so gross. I have... I had written down earlier, E.B. is such a pig, and now it was like, oh, my God. Just, Ew. I couldn't write anything about it. I was just, oh. like, so grossed out. So disgusting. That needs to be an animated GIF. <laughs> <laughs> no! Don't do it! No, I don't. I don't need to see that again. Uh, 
<laughs> he goes on his back like a turtle or uh... Yeah, later on he does. Oh yeah, right. And he like he kicks his legs <laughs> in the in the air. <laughs> a newborn baby or something. There's been an offer on the number 10 saloon, and Tom Nuttall has come to Al for advice, but don't talk to him in riddles. <laughs> Sober, Tom knows not to sell. Drunk, Tom still feels remorseful about what happened to William, but Al says, it's not your fucking fault. And that seems to make an impression on him. It does, yeah. Al is, Al is good at giving advice and support when it, when it behooves him. And what? I really like Tom's uh, kind of quip. Don't talk in riddles. It's like, mm. yeah, we've already established that uh, Al's a good life coach. Mm-hmm. At the Grand Central, the wedding guests have assembled. Richardson tucks his antlers into <laughs> his jacket. <laughs> so cute! <laughs> a mandolin plays the bridal chorus, a.k.a. Here Comes the Bride. Alma descends the staircase. Jane fiddles with her underwear. <laughs> Whitney Conway Ellsworth fiddles with his lavender mittens. Reverend Andy continues to be terrible at his job. <laughs> <laughs> didn't do as bad of a job this time, though, I didn't feel. Nobody with worms festering in corpses or anything. Yeah, it wasn't as bad. But yeah, he's not He's not the best. No. Um, Whitney? Whitney Conway Ellsworth. <laughs> Whitney. I didn't know. <laughs> I feel like we knew that his name was Whitney. I felt like I didn't. I might have just forgot. Anyways, Whitney. <laughs> During the wedding ceremony, there are some brief silent scenes. Al Hugo and Seth disagreeing about the Yankton proposal, Wilcott writing a letter, Charlie Utter rides back into camp. Martha finds that William's sunflowers are beginning to sprout. Oh, this made me cry. That was mm-hmm. sad. I cried. And I cried twice. Son- oh, good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that means good. you've had an emotional like reaction to the episode. You You're horrible. <laughs> you had an emotional reaction. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yes. I, it's a it's a very sweet because she's you know it's symbolic that life still goes on and and that he left something behind that will will exist past you know past his departure. I was also very excited to see Charlie. Yes, me yeah. too. And uh, at the end of the wedding ceremony, Hurst picks up a sledgehammer and begins to knock down the walls of the hotel. Yeah, <laughs> a little symbolic. Mm-hmm. Symbolic and just a uh, again he doesn't care about anything but business like the sentimental stuff that's happening downstairs he'll disrupt it he just doesn't care he doesn't care about people yep and also he is he is gearing up to knock down everything that everybody has built there felt really bad for uh alma and whitney that they were so nervous during the ceremony so so nervous i also think that when the the ceremony is over Mm. it's kind of like the expectation that Alma had, the the dread evaporates, and she seems to be a much happier person once it's over. Once exactly. It's done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She turns and smiles, and before yes. that, she was she was very nervous when she wasn't smiling. Yeah, and the party, like in the party, was like you know so much fun compared to the wedding. The wedding was just like tense, 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 and then that party they just let loose and they had fun. I thought she was going to break it off and not go ahead. Got to run away, bride, sitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think that at all. I knew she would go through. With also, it. how can you legally get married in a place that is not a state yet? Oh yeah, you can. Well, I don't know who. Do they have a marriage license? Hmm. Maybe um the- maybe Blazanov is a notary. I think the laws about marriage at the time were a lot looser. Yeah, Especially- I would imagine they would have to be. Yeah. Well, they they're still very important. They're still like the key to a lot of like financial dealings and stuff. Mhm. True. 
But they so had it probably wasn't as much paperwork as there is now. They yeah. had witnesses, they had a preacher, they had, you know. Yeah. So. Plus, I think there was some sort of naive belief that if you get married in front of God, that you're not going to go back on your word, like. Yeah. And have other marriages or anything. Yeah. Like, it's it's a commitment, because God sees everything. So, that's how they feel. Yeah. Now it's night, and the newlyweds are dancing with the townsfolk. Jane slugs a guy. What the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> Is that the first time we actually saw her do something violent, despite her reputation for it? It might be. It might be. I've always been waiting to see her shoot somebody, or get in a fight, or just do something to show me that she, you know, that she lives up to this reputation, but... But we know that she kind of invents her own reputation. Mm. The camp tailor wants to know if he was right about those gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't you just wave him off? Like, go away, basically. <laughs> Jane and Joni are very proud of Andy and his quiver full of words. Well, we know he's terrible, but they're it's... proud of him, so... <laughs> But it, it's, they, sh- they shouldn't encourage him. If he's bad at his job, they should tell him to get another job. Is he even a preacher or just pretending to be? Yeah, is this all a long con so he can kill Sai? That's kind of what I was wondering. I I still think it's it's real. It's just his version of Yeah. We saw how um, Reverend Smith was like the loving Sermon on the Mount kind of preacher and... Andy is the opposite. He's fire and brimstone. He's like, he's going to bring justice or whatever. The flaming sword. Mm-hmm. Which is his shiv inside his guts. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the other preacher. I loved him. I know you guys weren't too fond of him. I, like, I really liked him. I liked him. No. Nope. Yeah, I was going to say Mel, I guess, is the one that <laughs> <laughs> I really, really, really didn't like him. He was too intense. <laughs> Simmer down now. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really care about Andy either, but I don't. I guess he doesn't freak me out as much as he did the the other guy. Can't remember his name now. Reverend Smith. Yes, Reverend. Sai has a conversation with God. He demands five percent of every claim, or he'll <laughs> circulate a letter incriminating Hurst and the foreknowledge of Wilcott's murdering. This was great. Hurst instructs Captain Turner to find out if there is a letter. So, Mel, what'd you like about this scene? I like that Sai keeps pretending that he's hearing things from... <laughs> What's that you say, God? <laughs> Tell me more! <laughs> uh, it was delightful. I really thought that Sai had um, signed his death warrant from Hurst during all of this. So mm. the, the... Yeah, that's true. I mean, just kill just kill Sai if uh, he has this letter. Right. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, he has that. plan in case he does disappear. Do you think there is a letter? We did see Wilcott writing something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't don't know whether there's a letter or not. Um, There might very well be. But Psy is just being so damn stupid. Um, Blackmailing Hearst? It it really does point up the difference between Al and Psy. Al is just so much smarter. Oh, Psy is such a douchebag. I just, I do not like him. And it was stupid to try and blackmail George Hurst. I mean, come on. And I love the, the look on, on, uh, McRaney's face it was just, you know, those eyes were just steel looking at him. And Cy just didn't get it at all. Yeah, he had it those was... dead shark eyes. They really picked a, a good actor to play Hurst though, because he, he really does look like a, he's like a confident businessman, no nonsense kind of guy. Just, he plays it really well, I think. Yeah. 
I really love McCraney on this show. Or, yeah, McCraney? Is that how you say his name? Joe McCraney? Yeah. He he does some great stuff next season. Just... Yeah. I, he... Oh, good. Everyone on the show is pretty solid. And I always he, liked McRaney. He's... I liked him... Simon I and I, Simon. What was the name show that he was on? Wasn't it Simon and Simon? Thank you. That's the one. Simon and Simon. Sometimes I get him confused with Dabney Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> That's who, interesting. Who played uh, the Commodore on Boardwalk Empire, which is another sort of older shark kind of character, like... Very dangerous. That's interesting because Dabney Coleman is so much more a comedic actor than McRaney is. Except I really do associate McRaney with Major Dad, which was a sitcom. <laughs> so it's kind of, they're probably similar in age, right? Let's see here. Oh, no, they're not. Physically, Dabney they're, Coleman's considerably older. Yeah. Physically, they're they're not that, you know, they do have a general same physical type. Yeah, um, there's a resemblance. Sure. They're just old white guys. <laughs> that's the, that's the resemblance. That's the resemblance. Remember all the different judges and stuff he's played. He's played so many judges and and uh, you know colonels and you know military people and all that. Isn't and he married to Delta Burke? He might be. I think he is. Mm, they uh, no, you yeah. They uh, yeah. Nineteen eighty nine is when they got married. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really like this scene with Sai and Hurst because you just get a sense from the way Hurst reacts. It's like nothing phases him. He won't be shook down. No. But, uh, no. Al's wacky lackeys are disguised as Chinamen. Johnny wants to swap masks, but Silas declines. <laughs> In Chinatown, Mr. Lee is having sex with a whore, a white woman, actually. Yeah. He looks so bored. <laughs> uh, he looks high. I yeah. can. He does. Is this that? Is smoking it opium. Yeah, they've got the smoke wafting around his around his head. So yeah, he's high. Well, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself either way. <laughs> he looks totally bored. Mm-hmm. But hi, yeah, hi. It's- from from what I've heard about opium, it, it kind of just mellows you out to the point of not caring about anything. Wow, I think it's very interesting that he's having sex with a white woman because mm-hmm. he really has uh, graduated from his station. To like the next level, or he thinks he does. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Perhaps uh, George Hurst would disagree, but he thinks he's better than his own people. Uh-huh. I guess he has dis- well. We know he has disdain for his own people. He doesn't feed them, and he throws them in bonfires. Right. Mm. The Celestials are gambling and arguing over money. Wu points them out. Johnny axes one of the men in the back. Dan gets another. Dan is then grabbed from behind, and he's about to have his throat slit. But Silas comes and axes this attacker in the back. Then Wu. Slits Mr. Lee's throat. Cool. So, four more bodies. No more San Francisco cocksucker. Mm. Yep. Goodbye, Philip Moon. <laughs> Again, I, I, I know Philip Moon from The Young and the Restless. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he played Jack Abbott's son. No. Anyway. Do you think, uh, uh, do you think uh, David Milch uh, watched Young and the Restless, like... All the time. As inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where he got all his uh, actors. Hmm. Probably not. Because this is the only one that I remember from that show. Oh. Being in that show. Did anybody else, through all of this, have, like, flashbacks to The Godfather? Or was no. it Godfather 2? Godfather 2, I guess. Or 3. I don't know. No, not at all. 
Mm. Was I supposed to? I don't know. It just I did. I didn't know whether anybody else did. No. I think this is a sim- a scene that's a s- in lots of movies and television shows. The kind of yeah. Well, wasn't it with the um, yeah? I guess it was one of the later Godfather movies. Uh, I is it the christening? Michael's there's is it a Godfather cri- Four, Godfather in Space. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is ha- there's a christening going on, and Michael has um, all these different executions being you know taking place around town while he's at the christening, and they're having a party and stuff, and it's going. You mean through- the way that this is happening simultaneously with the wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, Carol. That does seem familiar. Yeah it it was I was flashing back to the Godfather movie, one of the Godfather movies. I haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah. But, uh, a lot of movies and television shows juxtapose happy moments and murderous sprees. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like a good time to do it. Everyone's kind of distracted with the dancing. Right. So, good time to go in and slit some throats. Uh-huh. I found this scene to be kind mm-hmm. of badly choreographed and dark, because I couldn't really tell who was killing whom, and I had to watch it several times and use the transcript for clarification. Yeah, I didn't even know that uh, Dan had had his bacon saved until they talked about it later. Yeah, did we right. see that? I didn't. I didn't notice it. But the, again, do, like, but it's so dark and quick. I, I don't always notice everything in this show because I'm writing notes at the same time. So sometimes you'll say things. And I'm like, what? That happened. Also, they're wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. That too. Yeah, that was that was a big part of it. But mm-hmm. I also am writing notes, and every now and then when somebody will say, oh, when he did thus and such, and it's like, oh, I must have been looking at the paper right then. Is that, yeah. should really watch the episode twice. <laughs> <laughs> no time! <laughs> Hour late podcast. Hugo finally signs the document, and the Yankton deal is done. After Al and Seth shake, and Seth goes down the stairs to drink, Al tells the chief that the next hurdle they face is elections, and a sheriff that might climb into a bottle or pursue the widow to her hot springs honeymoon. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think so either, but... It's more likely that he, he climbs into the bottle than pursuing Elma with a stiff prick to the hot springs. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. If that is, indeed is where Elma goes for, their, for her honeymoon. It's hard to believe that she and Ellsworth are going to be like skinny dipping in a in a hot spring somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> no, you never know. Well, maybe. Uh, so yeah, the Yankton stuff is done. Yes, you guys must be happy about that. Party. <laughs> <laughs> so the political thrust next season will be elections, but I will say that it's more interesting because it involves people that we know. So yay! Size. So go ahead. They were going to the hot springs. I would think that it probably would be at Yellowstone. How uh, far away is that? Mm, it's not far. It wouldn't be all that far. Yeah, yeah, because Deadwood's in the uh, kind of close to like the Mount Rushmore area, right? It is the Mount Rushmore area. Yeah, so yeah, you can get to like the east end of Yellowstone. It's just right there. Distance between cities. dot net says it's five hundred twenty eight miles or eight hundred fifty kilometers. Well, it's not too far. <laughs> Not too far in our days, but that would take a while. Yeah, yeah, it would take a long time unless they got on a train. You know, unless there was a train that went mm-hmm. by there, and she's got enough money to true to you know take the train if if the train has come through. She still has a, a claim to look after and a a bank to set up. Can't be gone too long. 
This is true. Well, maybe there's hot springs in the area. That's what I'm thinking. There may go, be. They're going to go to that cave like uh, Ygritte and Jon Snow. and <laughs> <laughs> The sexy cave. The sexy cave. <laughs> maybe they'll just bathe in that river where they were keeping her uh, her husband's body for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when my husband's body was here? Let's <laughs> <laughs> have sex here. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird. I'm sorry I brought that up. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, they're going to have sex everywhere Brom was. <laughs> <laughs> At the bottom of the cliff where he died. Sounds <laughs> <Right. laughs> more like something that she would have done with Seth, not with Seth. Oh, yeah, that's true. Sai is angry that Reverend Andy is Bible talking his horrors. God is not mocked, and Andy guts Sai. That was shocking. That was so shocking. I wasn't expecting that at all. I didn't didn't remember it happening when I first went, so it was a surprise to me. I I really was expecting it to come from Hurst. Now, of course, Sai could live so that Hurst can kill him later. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I love how nobody was really super rushing to Sai's aid, though. They were just yeah. like, it's not no, even Joni. He knew he was stabbed. Yeah. Take care of him, so-and-so. Yeah, Joni instructs one of the whores, I think it might be Tess. Take care of him. Take care of Sai. Mm. I don't know. This feels like... Again, I know what happens, but just in this moment, it kind of feels like he's not done yet. Yeah. Like the way that he's going to have help. Like if he was going to die, I feel like he would have died right there in the street. Yeah. Right. But it's nice to see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't terribly upset with it. It's like, oh, kill him now, kill him later. So did you guys think in this moment that he was dead or do you expect to see more of him? Like you said, he he would have died there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think he's, yeah, he's gonna come back. Bad Penny, you know, the whole thing. But maybe he'll come back reborn like Andy was. No. Uh, no. And then they'll form a, they'll form like a, a club. <laughs> like a club for Jesus or something. <laughs> like a religion? <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, yes! Like a church, I guess. Uh, it'll That's be, true. it'll be, it'll be like a, like a televangelist. But like for those times, so he'll be like getting all the people's money. That's his new scheme next season. That's my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. I'm gonna. Okay. <laughs> the doc takes Moe's outside and teaches him breathing exercises. Okay, I like that. It looked like he was teaching him yoga. <laughs> this guy doesn't have a clean shirt. I know. Why is he still wearing the shirt he was shot in? It's so gross. And I mean, and nobody's even washed it. He's got a ton of money, and he also, because he sold his claim that he killed his brother for, and he's got clothes somewhere around camp. Why has he still got a bloody shirt on that, I mean, <laughs> nobody's washed or anything. He's I been mean, too scared to leave. So somebody can't go to wherever his his camp was or wherever he was staying and, and get his stuff? No. and done (laughs) and then after Mose goes back inside a body with a rope around its neck suddenly drops from an upstairs balcony who I thought was Mr. Lee at first I thought they were trying to make it look like a suicide yeah I thought it was part of the whole Chinese thing 
Yeah, me too. Very hard to see. It happens yeah. so quickly. Yeah. I love how he just didn't even notice. Well, since uh, it's not really revealed who he is, uh, we'll, we won't say. We'll, well have to wait three scenes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we don't really get into Moses' state of mind since he recovered from being shot. He acted guilty after he killed his brother, and he seemed to invite suicide by Psy. But is he grateful to be alive? Does he feel guilty still? Do you guys want to predict what might happen with him? Maybe maybe we won't see him next season. What do you guys think? Well, he he said that he wanted to be um what is like a security guard or something there at the what did they call it? Like a uh, bouncer wa- kind a watchman. Of. A watchman. There at uh Joni's place. So it almost seems like he's doing like penance or something. Okay. Mm. But he does seem you're right though, he does seem to be grateful to be alive just because, you know, just the way he was doing those exercises, you know, he was really taking the air in, like, really thankful that they saved him. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the bloody shirt is part of, could be part of the whole penance thing. Instead of a yeah. hair shirt, he's wearing a bloody shirt. Yeah. Mm, I like that. Maybe he'll never change his shirt. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like a good luck charm thingy for him. <laughs> the men have done a good job. Dan is grateful Silas saved his bacon. He bro-punches Silas in the shoulder. Wu cuts off his braid. He is an American now, and he and Al are definitely hang-dai. This was interesting. Yeah. What does that mean? Brothers or something? Yeah, brothers. David Milch says, What makes Wu an American with his man-eating pigs and his vocabulary of cocksucker is that he makes do with what's in front of him. He takes things the way they are and doesn't pretend there's something else. At the end of the second season, he cuts off his queue, which is his tie to his past, to his ancestral homeland, and he declares, Wu, America, because he has seen his human loyalty and fellow feeling returned, more so here than there. Mm-hmm. In other words, people in Deadwood are more hanged eye than his countrymen were. More family to him than mm-hmm. Stay back home. Yeah. Yeah. Brunjin came through for him. Right. And this isn't really related to the scene, but Kion Young says... One thing that great Chinamen never believe in is democracy. Democracy is for idiots. There's no such thing as democracy. Westerners are always propelling those democratic principles, like every man is considered equal. The Chinese laugh at that. I think Wu is laughing at that, too. We must be separate from the rest of the people. There is no such thing as equality. I am Wu. (laughs) (laughs) I am Wu. Hear me roar. (laughs) Uh, I also really like that Dan... uh, started off as antagonistic towards Silas, but now they're becoming friends. Yeah. yeah. I have He's being I, accepted into their fold. Yeah, I have Dan and Adam's bonded. They're bonding. A bromance for the ages. Yeah. <laughs> People become friends. It is nice. But it takes Bounding time. Murder. But it, yeah, it just took time because you can't trust someone in your circle immediately, especially considering what they do for Al. Oh. You know? Like, yep. they murder people for Al. You can't just have some random stranger join you all of a sudden. <laughs> Especially if, you know, I mean, from Dan's point of view, Adams was looking to take Dan's position. And, of course, he wasn't really because Dan is the muscle. Yeah. Adams. But I guess Dan had to realize that, too, right? Yeah. <sighs> Captain Turner finds Wolcott swinging from the hotel balcony. So I guess we won't be finding out if that confession letter is real or not. Yep. So was well, that a suicide note then that Wolcott was writing? Yes, so. Wonder. Or was that murder? I mean, do we know? It looked like suicide to me. Yeah. Do you think it was suicide? 
Well, a lot of people, when they lose their jobs, they'll usually, a lot of times, if, suicidal. If Captain Turner had gone up into the hotel, and then that happened, we could say, well, maybe it was murder, but yeah. since Hearst Muscle is on his way to Wilcott, and Wilcott uh, preemptively kills himself, it does seem like suicide. Suicide. Do you think, though, it was like, he knew that the captain was coming to see him, and he didn't want him to kill him, he wanted to do it himself? Maybe. Because well, I don't think that uh, they were going to kill him. No, well, I don't think that either, but I'm just throwing that out there. Well, I'll read what Garrett Dillahunt writes, but again, this doesn't necessarily mean this is true, but this is this was his interpretation as the actor playing Francis Wilcott. By the way, who is he going to play in season three? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, they can't get rid of him, right? He's going to play... He's going to play a new tailor... He tries to give Moe's a new shirt, and Moe says, I don't want that new shirt, I want this bloody shirt, because it reminds me of all the terrible things I've done. Maybe he'll be an inventor that invents uh, shout. <laughs> <laughs> to get blood stains out of a shirt. <laughs> Maybe he's the owner of the Hot Springs Inn that Ellsworth and Alma honeymoon at. <laughs> oh, I see. There's lots of possibilities. Well, they'd have to go with, like, a woman. I mean, so they've already done, like, dirty, gross guy. Now he's, like, clean guy. He'd have to be, like, a woman in season okay. three. A female parishioner of size new evangelical yes. church? <laughs> yeah. Oh my anyway, Garrett Dillahunt says, Wilcott was probably raised in a whorehouse. Hurst is a father figure for him. Plucked him out of that place. Trained him. Wilcott is so smart, the world is almost boring for him. He has too much power and money, and he has Hearst on his side. He likes to fuck with people. That's why he toys with Farnham. He never has a reason to look away. He'll stare at you until you start squirming. Then he'll be delighted. At the same time, Wilcott doesn't want to be seen for who he is. The trouble happened when Tolliver found out that he's a dangerous trick. Then the depth charges went off in his head, and he had to get rid of the evidence. No one must know about this. I mustn't displease my father. Wilcott's only good act, besides smiling at the bicycle race, is when he lets Hearst off the hook by killing himself in a public place. Yeah. It's a way of saying, Hearst has nothing to do with this, I renounce my birthright, I renounce all respect. In my last scene with Hearst, I'm smoking a cigar like a grown-up. It's my last vestige of manhood. Hearst screams at me, and I put it out. Now I am a little boy in the face of his wrath. Mm. Mm. Oh. Interesting. So his interpretation is that he kills himself to absolve his father figure. Oh. Sad. It's sad. Although what? I guess he deserves it. But <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's sad that he never had a chance either, really. You know, he didn't have, you know, like, he, but I guess he did have a chance, but by the point, at the, by the time that Hearst got to him, he was already ruined. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, but you know, I, as much as, yes, I'm sure he had a horrible childhood and so forth and so on. Mm. There are still a ton of people who have horrendous childhoods who don't become psychopathic serial killers. Yes, but I mean, that doesn't mean that some people are able to process it better than others, right? Some people have that ability in their brain. Like, I've, I think, I, I've, I've seen documentaries where they say, like, if, if some people don't have the proper, uh, parenting as children, that they will become sociopaths or psychopaths or whatever because if you're not showing them like they lack empathy naturally right mm -hmm. yeah so he might have very well been that kind of person where he just lacked empathy and since he was never shown empathy then you know yeah i know we're supposed to when it comes to murderers demonize them and call them monsters but i have always had pity for people who 
act like this. Yeah, because they were they can't once... control themselves. Exactly. Because it's like some somewhere, either through parenting or through just like brain chemistry, they didn't have a chance. Exactly. Yeah. So and they were kids really once, them. right? Yeah, right. I just feel yeah. bad for them. Yeah. I don't hate them, but at the same time, you hate what they do. I I have right. a hard time feeling much sympathy for them. I I feel sympathy for what they went through and what created them. Yeah. But on the other hand, I have no sympathy for for what they do end up doing to other people. This, notice I didn't say sympathy. I said pity, and I don't think those are the same things. They mm. they lose they lose all of that for me. With you know, I I have a hard time dealing with with crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> A broad, as broad a statement as I've ever <laughs> said. I have a hard time dealing with crazy people. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, you know, the the eccentric, and there's the creative, and there's the artistic, and the, you know, all of that. That, but I'm talking about truly crazy. Yeah. So a lot happens in the last couple moments of the episode. There's a lot of cutting back and forth, things happening simultaneously. So. I'll just try and recap all of it in sort of one big section here. Merrick has printed a late edition. He and Blazanoff shout, Elections are coming! Al gives Seth the bums rush. Ellsworth and Sophia dance as Alma climbs onto the wagon. The entire camp is feeling festive. Even Tom is smiling again, which is nice to see. Trixie gives Miss Isringhausen's letter to Alma. Seth and Alma lock eyes. They seem at least somewhat at peace with how things are working out for them. Hey, we ain't done fucking dancing! Blazanov does a cute <laughs> Russian dance. J- Jen the whore gropes Merrick, who's, who is using his American optical back-focused single swing with a Meyer Gorlitz Trio Plan 210-milliliter lens. <laughs> Charlie dances with his lady friends. Saul and Trixie dance. Doc and Jewel dance, taking oh. me back to the season one finale. From his balcony, Al watches with the chief, bobbing his head to the rhythm of the spirited revelry below. So, Al should have started waltzing with the chief. So glad the chief, <laughs> so glad the chief is back. I know. I was really happy when he was he was just like chatting and I was like realized that he talked to the chief and I was like, Yay! <laughs> I love that. Nice okay. box before. What? Was he in such a nice wooden box before? Don't know. Do you think he got a nice wooden box made up for the chief? <laughs> <laughs> it's like monogrammed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember him so nice before. He was just like in a in a sack inside a I don't know. It was like a it was like a box, like a cardboard box covered in paper or something. Yeah, yeah. I remember cardboard box. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, is cardboard box period? I was like, huh, I don't know. But but anyway, it seemed like he upgraded his box. <laughs> Maybe it was a shipping box from some booze that came in and he thought it looked good for the chief's head. Yeah, maybe. Wait, could you imagine, like, who would want to switch the head from one box to the other? That's Johnny's job. <laughs> at this point, it's pretty gross, I think. It just falls right into your hands. Well, it was in a bag before, I thought. Wasn't I guess it? maybe if there's enough air circulating, maybe it's just like a piece of jerky at this point. Uh, I was thinking, I was wondering whether it mummified or anything. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so does it, okay, this might be a spoilery question, but does every season end with a dance? <laughs> or Al watching people dance? Yeah. 
I think it bookends the previous season finale pretty well. Yeah. So we have Doc and Jewel again. Yeah, that was nice. Did you guys notice, by the way, uh, when the Doc was walking away from Moe's that he danced a little jig? Yes. That was adorable. (laughs) Inappropriate, a child died. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) But he saved one person, so, you know, I think that made him feel happy. (laughs) Okay, yes, so Alma and Seth, that whole thing made me cry. Which part made you sad? Just the fact that he was basically the, like they're over he each was other. Ha- no, I don't think they're over each other. No, just he, was, he was just happy for her. Yeah, you know, and it was just like it's almost like he was like, you know, I'm really glad for you that you're able to do this now. Mm-hmm. And it was really nice, and I was just aw, I got all the feels. It's <laughs> like he let her go. Yeah, just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> But it was really nice. Like I was like, oh, how how you know, so mature of him to to do that. It's like it's like the plot of Born Free when he, <laughs> she's the lion and and he releases her back into the wild. <laughs> In this well, case, he the hot springs. <laughs> I'm releasing you to the hot springs. <laughs> <laughs> he had to drink a lot to do it, wasn't that? Why he was staying on it. Al's place to get drunk while the wedding was going on. Do you think that's what it was? Hmm. I kind of thought that's why. I think that makes a lot of sense. That it makes sense in that you know Al had also said about him going into the bottle and stuff. He was worried that yeah. Which is, I assume, why he threw him out too. Also, when Al was like, "Your wife's that away." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like to the right. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, he knows that, but, I mean, I don't think he needs Al to tell him that. Again, life coach. Yeah, life coach. So Alma will have two kids, and Seth will have none. Well. I think they really they really do need to take one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, uh. Take the Seth five head. I think Seth and Martha yeah. are going to have kids, I think. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Oh, by the way, there is a town called Hot Springs, South Dakota. Oh. How far is it from Deadwood? I don't know yet. Oh, and like, by the way, after after this episode was over and the s- credits came on, like the song, Matt and I had a hoedown. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was dark out, and our lights were on in our living room, and I'm pretty sure all uh, all the neighbors saw us dancing. <laughs> and we're justifiably jealous, I'm sure. Probably. Mm. <laughs> I love so that Jane's I, I, so the one. I cry. Sorry. It's okay. I just love that Jane's the one that was like, hey, we're still dancing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and the look between um, when Charlie showed up and he and Jane were looking at each other and Jane was obviously not happy to be caught in a dress by Charlie. Yeah. And he was just enjoying it. Second dress in like two days. <laughs> <laughs> she had to wear a funeral dress and now she has to wear a nuptial dress. And I like that Tom is feeling better, and yeah, Moses recovered, so the doc is feeling better, and Charlie's back, and I feel like we're leaving at a pretty good place. Good times. Yep. So did Except they all the know- people that were murdered. <laughs> did they know that they'd be back for a third season at this point? I think so. Okay. But I'm not sure, actually. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. <laughs> did this feel like a season finale? Or is it another, to quote Carol, a conduit episode? <laughs> no, this, <laughs> this felt this, like 
They were wrapping things up pretty well, it seemed like. Yeah. Good. I felt like the the season, just like the previous one, there's there's a lot of like building, 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 but then it does pay off at, in the finale. Hot Springs, South Dakota, is 87 miles from Deadwood, and it's also in the Black Hills. Okay, that might be where they're going then. Directly I, south, yeah. yeah. I would say that's for sure where they're going. Yep, yep. I wonder what's there in 1877 that's well, worth honeymooning when- in. Wind Cave National Park is there now, so... I I don't know how much of a honeymoon it will be since Sophia will be with them. Yeah, really. (laughs) Well, (laughs) they'll send her downstairs, and um, (laughs) there will be more plaster in her hair. (laughs) As Trixie pointed out, um, you know, uh, they won't necessarily need to do, or Alma won't necessarily need to do Anything for wifely duties, <laughs> but I do like the idea that they're they're stooping upstairs and Sophia's downstairs <laughs> below, and some like other patrons in the hotel are like, "Are are you okay, little girl?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm used to it." <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think they probably will consummate at some point, though. I mean, that's the expected thing back then. Yeah, they're married. Just like Seth and Martha, like they were like, oh, well, Seth was, was like, yeah, you don't have to have sex. I guess we have to. <laughs> Does anyone want to uh, add anything to that last final bit? I think Jewel and the Doctor are really cute together. Yes, <laughs> adorable. Their shipper name would be Duel. Duel. Drool. Or Dockrin. Jockrin. Or Jock. Doctor. And I see a little something between Charlie and Joni. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's always kind of been there. Well, I don't think yeah. she's going to reciprocate. No, I don't think so. But he but likes her. I, I could see Charlie looking at, well, if Ellsworth could end up marrying Alma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all bets are off for what he might be able to do. Merrick and Blazinoff are a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I like how Merrick is always startled by when his camera goes off when the flash like explodes. <laughs> you always see him kind of wince. <laughs> that was a cute thing when uh, much earlier in the episode when he's trying to take a picture of the commissioner just when Al tells the commissioner that it's time to come in and negotiate and he just gets up in the middle of the guy taking the picture of it. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> There's a lot of cool little things that were just thrown in. It was very yeah. dense. And I like Blazinoff's dance. Yes. It was amazing. The dance was amazing. should <laughs> <laughs> uh, dance. I love it when the town comes together, like they did for the bicycle event and now for this. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The funeral, too. Was, you know. Yeah. That was one of those things where, you know, they found out he could do it and said, oh, this is perfect. Or whether it was like, can you do this, you know, to... If you can't now, can you get so you can do it in the next eight days? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So for your predictions, Carol predicted that Boy the Earth talks to had something to do with Native Americans. Well, we saw the chief again, but no. Well, well yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the Native good. American name, but well, that's what I said it was the, the, the Native American name. I just I did not know it was going to be Hearst's Native American name. Okay, Matt predicted that William will be resurrected as a clay golem. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see him, but he was there. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. He was, he was behind. Because, because, because Martha was, you know, pushing the earth around, that sunflower. Mm-hmm. She was actually creating a very tiny golem. Yeah. He was standing behind them when they were sitting in the chairs facing the wall. He was standing behind them. Yep. Mm. And maybe he's stealing all of Moses' clean shirts, and that's why Moses is still in the dirty one. Aww. They're giving him clean shirts. They just go missing. (laughs) William is a golem. (laughs) (laughs) Makes so much sense. Uh, Mel predicted that the Native Americans will steal William's body and perform a ritual, (laughs) saying that the Earth talks to him. Or the more superstitious members of the camp decide they can't bury William, or the Earth will reveal its secrets, so they float him down a river. Also, you can't trust the Earth because it talks too much. (laughs) What am I talking about? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Wow, I'm crazy. Just the the ramblings of an insane person. (laughs) Yes. You you and EB can be in that (laughs) mental hospital together. (laughs) No thanks. Walk around like simians. (laughs) For our miscellaneous prediction, I wanted to go back to season one and do a body count prediction. Matt predicted one. Mel said two people would die. Carol said three. Uh, the total body count was seven. So Carol wins. Yeah. I think that might be an all-time high for the whole series. No. Well, it's... Since the pilot, perhaps. Yeah, since the pilot. Not... Eight people died in the pilot, but the two squarehead parents and the two squarehead children were killed off-screen. Yeah. So this is the most amount of people we've seen killed on screen, but it is the second most since the pilot. Uh, during the episode, we had uh, th- four of Lee's men axed in the back by Wu, Johnny, Dan, and Silas. Wu's man was shot by Lee, and Mr. Lee had his throat cut by Mr. Wu, and then Francis Wolcott killed himself. So compared to last season, this was a, a much less bloody season. Uh, 20 people killed in season one. 16 in season 2. Yeah, with all those politics, there's going to be less uh, death. (laughs) More civilization. I'm sorry, 15 in season 2. And season 1 had 3 episodes without a death. This had 5 episodes without a death. Most of the deaths came in this one. Yeah. But let's say our goodbyes to Bummer Dan, Slippery Dan, Crop Ear, Doris, Carrie, Maddie, Charlie Manuel, William Bullock, Five miscellaneous Chinese men, Mr. Lee, and Francis Wolcott. Mm. Bye. <laughs> you said bye. Bye. Fuck you. You said to say goodbye. Fuck all y'all. All right. Uh, let's move on to feedback. First feedback is from Hasso. Mel, why don't you read this one and try to be nice this time? Shall. I would like to extend a cordial greeting to the following full-time members of the Hoople cast team in no particular order of preference or priority. Covering all the bases. (laughs) Matt A, Mel, Carol, Matt H. I do so (laughs) I do so after walking a fine line with my salutation in my previous feedback that almost led me to be a historic first on Mel's kill list. For sending in feedback. Smiley face. (laughs) All is forgiven. All is forgiven. (laughs) Jokes aside, been an absolute blast listening to the show and lucky enough to throw, also to throw my two cents in. I'll definitely be following closely to see what manifestation Hooplecast Phase 2 will take. 
Wishing you guys a belated Merry Christmas and all the best for 2016. Kind regards. You said Hasso? Is it Hassan? Hassan is his name. His friends call him Hasso. I don't know if we're friends or not. It's if we can call him Hasso or not, so... Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Are, it's are, very confusing. Are we friends? I don't know what Ooh, to call you. I don't know. Please Acquaint- tell. Please podcast acquaintances. We're friends, or you're on Mel's kill list. Yes. Tashi <laughs> <laughs> makes friends at a barrel of a gun. <laughs> you will be my friend. <laughs> right. He also sent an audio feedback, so I'm going to play that now. Yay. Hi guys, it's Hasso. Hope you're all well. I've got a review for you for um, Series 2, Episode 12, Boy the Earth Talks To. Hurst and Wilcott, I think in that scene where they're discussing uh, the three murders, uh, essentially, um, I've just just got a note here saying that those two look like... uh, They're they're coming across as two superstitious, self-aggrandizing cocksuckers. Um, I like the way Wilcott kind of uh, summed up a couple of um, points that for Hurst... Um, you know, the gods or, or the earth is saying to him, you are king, I exist to flesh your will. And uh, on his case, it was, there is no sin to be able to get away with everything. So it really kind of showed how they, I guess, at least how he perceived himself and uh, Hurst as um, being someone above normal or above the, I guess, general populace. Uh, the wedding was very well done. I think Ellsworth was really convincing in his um, awkwardness, um, especially with his lavender gloves. Um, I thought the doc was funny, that he had that same intense look um, as he's performing surgery at the same at, at the time that the bride and groom were walking in. Uh, Alma was very convincing with her nervousness and her anxiety when she was saying her vows, um, and and I guess the highlight, you know, one of the highlight, major highlights for that episode was the wedding montage, um, and, and that really kind of symbolised either new beginnings or new chapters. But overall, Al uh, was the peak of this episode. He was playing chess while Sai, his opponent, was playing checkers. Um, yeah, so he absolutely killed it this episode. Uh, his henchmen rocked, and they did the job, and now they don't have any real immediate threats. So, And I, and I really love the camaraderie. Um, after you know, Al's henchmen all get back, and and um, Johnny is asked by Al how how did um, Wu fight, and you know Johnny says something like he gives a good fucking account, Mister Wu does. I thought that was, that was good, um, and yeah, it was, you know the, the, they've all just become best mates, the henchmen. Nothing like a good murdering spree to bring them all closer together. <laughs> um, and, and to top it off, Mister Wu becomes an American, chopping off his um, his hair. So that was a, a great ending as well. So overall, I give that um, fantastic episode. I give it eight and a half. Our swear engine master plants. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. When is Sai ever going to win? He's got the worst henchman. His plans never go through. He Does he think sure you want him to win? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. He he thinks short term. He lets his own desire for power and everything else to get ahead of, you know, making a good plan. And and uh, he's not a businessman. He's a psychopath. Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. He, he is all those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know. But it's, it's really nice that they have this counterpoint to Al. 
Our next feedback is from Harold. Let's have our guest, Sue, take this one. I, w- I was going to have you, Sue, read Emily's feedback, but she didn't send any, so. Oh, Emily. Emily! Yeah. What's up with that, Emily? <laughs> <laughs> it's a guest. I guess she figured, you know, oh, I don't need to send in, but <sighs> that's really taking your sister for granted. I'm, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Emily's been busy, I guess. Yeah, but still. Yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah, I know. You shouldn't so, like you, Sue. It's just not right. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you read this one from Harold, Sue? Uh, so Harold writes, As we come to the season's end, we find most of our main characters in a good place. The only discordant note is George Hurst's arrival in the camp, and nothing could be more emblematic of his disruptive nature than when he begins to tear up the walls of the hotel in the midst of Alma and Ellsworth's wedding. I don't recall whether we have ever heard Ellsworth's first name before. It took me briefly out of the moment because Whitney Ellsworth is a famous name in comic book history, as he was one of the original editors of Superman, and he later moved to California to oversee the George Reeves Superman television show. (laughs) When I looked on the internet, Google had a bio of this Whitney Ellsworth coupled with a picture of Jim Beaver dressed as our Ellsworth. So (laughs) I am curious, Matt A., whether Deadwood's Ellsworth is based on a real person. As far as I know, he's not. But Jim Beaver is like a major biographer of Reeves that played Superman. What? Oh, really? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's weird. I wouldn't be surprised if um, Jim Beaver, a lot of times you'll see that he actually, he writes reviews of movies and stuff, but he's actually, he's a writer and he is a biographer and, uh, George Reeves is one of his major subjects that he's been writing about for a long time. So he might have came up with the name himself, you mean? His first name? Or he might have had something... Characters, I mean. He might have had some input into it. Yeah. Well, reading this from Wikipedia says here that producer David Milch subsequently okayed the character be given the first name Whitney in homage to Reeves' Adventures of Superman. Yeah, that's cool. Interesting. I wonder if that uh, is information that will come out of what Ina will post on our Facebook group later. Mm. Yeah, so. so. Huh. Anyway. Anyway, Harold okay. continues. Harold continues. Um, he says, anyway, back to our episode. We learned several lessons in this hour. One, don't wear the same clothes to a funeral and a wedding when they both happen within the same week. <laughs> Two, if you have a job working for someone in the public eye, don't murder three whores. <laughs> That's good advice. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, number three is gloves are the rigor in New York. (laughs) Four, (laughs) if you are going to have a showdown in the street, don't lie around in an opium haze unprotected just a few hours later. Drink coffee instead. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good tips. (laughs) Um, five, don't piss off Andy Kramed or you might get gutted. Watch out, Matt H. You might be next for calling him Andy Kramed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he says, I give this seven cues out of ten. Sorry, Mel, for the pun. Uh-huh. That is cute. Hanged Eye Harold. Um, he says, I have no idea what you are doing next, but if you ask my advice, which you haven't, I would recommend The Wire, another HBO series that is dense and complicated and which newbies could really use guidance, figuring out who is who and what's going on. Mm. That's an excellent suggestion. That is, well, we'll, we will see when we get to the end of the episode and when we announce what we're doing for phase two. 
I don't forgive you for that pun, Harold. <laughs> no puns are forgiven. No slack <laughs> is cut. Never forgiven. Also, I want to mention that Harold is the elsewhere engine uh, for this podcast. So he's our life coach, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Giving us tips like That's right. don't murder people. <laughs> Drink coffee. So you don't get murdered. Like just good, do just good tips all around. And, and everyone knows Harold's been known to talk to heads in boxes. <laughs> right, Harold? Oh shit! He told me that in confidence. <laughs> Matt, would you please read this feedback from Nutty? Getting this feedback in under the wire. I hope. Uh, woo! Who set up the ambush? But I'm still with him. I hope he gets the San Fran San Fran cocksucker out of here or dead. I love that Al doesn't blame Wu either. Loved love the hunting party. I love the end. Wu is dedicated to Al and America. <laughs> America. Uh, so <laughs> is this sort of like running thoughts? But then yeah, I think so. I organized think she writes... into character. Uh, yeah, but I think she writes them as she's going. Yeah, that's why she's like. I hope he still gets he gets out. Or kills the the San Francisco yeah. sucker. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I I thought she usually did her running thoughts on the whole episode, but it looks like she did that, and then she like categorized them afterwards. Bullocks. <laughs> uh, How can Martha and Seth move on? I just don't know. Hurst. Gerald Mc McCraney as Hurst is great. He'll be perfect. Eb is effing gross today. Always <laughs> <laughs> yes. gross. This is particularly gross. Yeah, yeah definitely was over and above. Gross. The wedding. Ellsworth is adorable. I think I'm as surprised as Al that Alma invited him. The moment be between Trixie and Jewel, I'm in love. <laughs> I love how Joni gets Jane to dress. Superstitions are helpful this week. <laughs> <laughs> love her during the wedding not being able to handle undergarments, and later her and Joni dancing with Charlie. I love this I love this wedding. Everything about it was so sweet. Sai may be dead? Awesome. Wilcott is dead? Woohoo! Ten out of ten dances with Jane. Have a great hiatus. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Nutty. And we have feedback from Laurel. Carol, I'd like you to read this. George Hurst finally arrived in camp. He seems to be as savvy as the real Hurst of history was. What a great shot of Martha and Seth in their parlor speaking in code about the relationship by talking of the camp's children and of William. Very touching. It's still awkward. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Con Stapleton and the Bison. What of it? Perhaps, oh, yeah. perhaps foreshadowing that the camp will all become the hunted now that Hurst is there? Con hmm. seems as superstitious as Richardson with his antlers. <laughs> New beginnings in camp. Ellsworth and Alma are getting married. The sunflower seedling that William planted is sprouting. Will the camp members find some happiness? Jane in a dress, looking so uncomfortable. Go back to the fringe, Jane! <laughs> Alma shows up 25 minutes into the episode, talking to Brom. Clever way to share her feelings. Such a complicated life she has. Talking to her dead husband has one adopted child, pregnant with another by a man she can't marry, and then marrying a third guy. So 21st century of her. <laughs> and we end another season with Doc and Jewel dancing. Everyone somehow satisfied for now. I love this show! <laughs> and our last feedback is from Jonathan. <gasps> and it's audio feedback. 
I wonder if he'll be happy or sad that Sai was stabbed. <laughs> I wonder. Every time I hear them say the word Walcott, I think of Vampire Weekend. Am I the only one? No. Vampire Weekend, you guys. The band, Vampire Weekend. Yeah. Well, okay, listen. That? Anybody? <laughs> well, anyway, it's true. He is insane. And if I were in Cape Cod, I would want to get out of there tonight. Uh, anyway, what else did we have? We had Psy hearing the voice of God, which I find a little unlikely. Um, but then he heard the real voice of God coming from the minister. And are we then to feel sorry for Psy? Are we now to look at... No. Are we now hearing the voice of the angels singing, Fuck Psy. Psy's the worst. That is what we are hearing. <laughs> My favorite part of that scene was with the doctor, though, as we see the turnaround in fortunes of Mose Manuel and Walcott all in one shot. The best part was watching the doc walk away with a little hop-step skip. I really love the doc. Charlie utters back, and just in time, to not get in the way of Joni and Jane. They're doing their own thing, Charlie, and I love you, but just take a step back. You know? Seriously, Joni and Jane Stubbs Cannery are my favorite couple on the show. <laughs> a quick word to Seth. Uh, maybe get over it. Uh, just walk away, get over it. You have a mourning wife to take care of. You've lost your son. We all get it. You're sad. So go be sad with her because you already made your mistakes and stop worrying about that woman who went to New York because she hates Seattle and because everything... Uh, uh, hey, sorry. Guys, I think I boarded the wrong train of thought there. <laughs> Somehow, George Hurst, small a man though he is, still manages to be an imposing figure. He comes into town... He's not actually that smart or that good at business. He just likes getting the color out of the ground and yet still wields an enormous amount of power, even when faced with the collected power of Deadwood. He's an interesting guy. Anyway, guys, sorry for my long absence. Uh, I'm recording feedback now so that Murder Mel doesn't murder me. Uh, I will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. I don't murder feel murderous uh, this week because I've been overtaken by the Christmas spirit. Nice. <laughs> also, if Murder Mel doesn't murder, is she still Murder Mel? Does she just become Mel again? Yeah, like like this week I'm just Mel. But next time, after our hiatus, I mean, Christmas will be over, so yeah, we'll right, back, right back to murder. <laughs> <laughs> it would be work out embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> murder Mel? <laughs> <laughs> Is someone going to send me a pill in the mail that is like... <laughs> <laughs> and it's also your murder weapon. You murder them by suffocating them. <laughs> <laughs> when you're holding it above their heads and they go, what are you doing? You'll say, read the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I agree with Jonathan's assessment that Hearst isn't smart or good at business. I, I just agree. think that he was... Hearst comes across as... Um, not caring right. about certain things. I agree. Yeah. No, he's he's good at business. He's ruth. He's a ruthless guy who really doesn't care about anything about except getting the gold out. I mean, he's that's he's, why he's so good at business. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's he's he's fo totally focused. 
He knows what he's focused on, and that's it. He mentioned, and maybe I was just being um, really dense, but he he connected the um, Stai talking to God in that one, pretending to talk to God in, in his discussion with Hearst, with then, then the preacher later on, you know, stabbing him and, you know, basically God answering him. And I had not put it together when he's talking about, you know, he kept saying, you can't mock God or, or whatever, that just how often Sai had been doing just that. I kept thinking about his conversation with the preacher um, in, what was it, last episode? Where he, he threatened him and everything and, right. and, and all of that. But he really has been mocking God in a lot of different ways, and certainly in that conversation with Hearst that he just had a little while before. Yeah, and also there was the whore that was reading the Bible. Um, and then, mm-hmm. the, not just now in this episode, but in a previous episode, uh, the, I think he was with either, it was either Lila or Tess, but it's probably Lila. And, and she said something like, uh, I pray for you, or I talk to God about you and God loves you. And he's like, shut up, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So even though the preacher wasn't there, though, I'm sure he heard sigh plenty of other times. Yeah. It's part of a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the feedback, Hasso, Harold, Nutty, Laurel, Jonathan, not Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie's got your scent, Emily. She's on your trail. She's got her pillow and she's on the way. <laughs> uh, I just right. ordered one off of Etsy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Better be worth all that money. Well, let's get into episode ratings. Sue, why don't you go first? I am going to give it 9 out of 10. I really like this episode. I thought a lot of stuff got wrapped up. A lot of stuff seems to be happening now that George Hurst is in camp. I thought it was just a good season finale. Um, And I'm giving it 9 out of 10 pigs on a spit. We didn't mention the pig on the spit that we saw. This is true. Yeah, nice. Um, It looked yummy. Carol? I also, I'm going to give it 9 out of 10. Um, I, you know, this is very much not a conduit episode. Thank you. It tied some things <laughs> off. Um, I thought it was a really nice finale. It left a lot of things open. It gave us a lot, you know, there's a lot of ongoing story, but at the same time, um, it tied a lot of things together. There's a lot of resolution, and I found it very satisfying. So, I'll give it uh, 9 out of 10 Godfather callbacks. Okay. <laughs> Mel, how about you? Um, yes, I liked it. Um, yeah, like I said, it made me cry twice. <laughs> um, I guess that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just a lot of feels and uh, that stupid storyline is over with, which I'm really happy about. So, yes, I will give it an... Uh, Nine out of ten leather lips. <laughs> oh, <that's so> gross. <laughs> I was like, I was, my notes and I was like, what is the funniest thing on here? I was like, oh, leather lips. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Matt? Uh, the beginning was exciting. The ending was exciting. The middle was too much like the rest of the season. <laughs> too much politics and such. Um, so my original score was lower, but the end brought it up to uh, eight 
out of 10 surprise guttings. Um, I like this one quite a lot because I love it when the town gets together and they threw a party. So that was exciting. And it's good to see Ellsworth and Alma getting on with things. And it seems like Martha is on the, on the road to healing. Evie was hilarious. The gross. <laughs> uh, I know the politics stuff, again, not my favorite, but I thought in this one, Stephen Tobolowsky was very funny. And even Al was like sick of it. So, and it's ended. So, hey, that was good too. And uh, Wilcott's dead. So I think we're leaving it a pretty good place and just lots of fun stuff happening. Woo was great. Um, so it's because I gave a 9.5 to Childish Things, uh, and I like this one better because it, there was more to it and it was more of a conclusion. I got to give it 10. It's my first 10 of the season. So I'm going to give it t- uh 10 out of 10 Melancholy Bison. Cause I don't <laughs> think we mentioned that either that Khan had a weird fixation on a, on a, that bison's head. And... Yes. Yeah. So, looking back at the season ratings, the overall ratings for season two uh, averaged to a lower rating than season one, which I don't think surprises anyone, because uh, there were some pretty low scores this season. Whereas season one averaged 8.25, season two averaged 8.18. So, not too far off. Yeah. But uh, but pretty good. Um, Let's see. Carol gave uh, a couple nines this season. She gave, what's he got? One, two, three, four, five nines. Wow. Uh, her highest was a 9.5, and that was episode eight, Childish Things. Oh. As for Matt, let's see, his overall score was a 7.79. He gave nines to two episodes, which would be EB was left out and Childish Things. Childish Things obviously had the big bicycle. Yeah, uh-huh. but I don't know what exactly happened in EB was left out, even though that Maybe. looks like that was our third favorite episode. Mel liked the season the least. <laughs> Her average was a 7.42, and she gave nines to three episodes. EB was left out, Childish Things, and Boy the Earth Talks too. And our guests actually brought our ratings up quite a lot because we got two tens from Stephanie S. and Stephanie E. Mm. Episodes six and seven. So. Let's move on to character rankings. Sue, why don't you go first? All right. Well, my character of this episode, I'm going with Mr. Wu. Ooh, good choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But tell us why. I loved watching him sneak out of the gym. Um, I like that he was able to kill the San Francisco cocksucker. And I liked the ending scene with Al where he cut off his braid and claim to be, you know, embrace America. And I just think he kind of won the most in this. Now he gets to, you know, provide services to, to Hearst's guys. So he just came out the winner to me in this one. Very good. Carol. Uh, I have to go with Al because he was orchestrating everything that Wu, for instance, gained, which I agree, you know, this mm-hmm. had some really good Wu stuff in it. But everything that Wu gained was orchestrated by Al. He gave Al gave Wu the opportunity. Admittedly, Wu didn't necessarily have to take it, but he gave Wu the opportunity, and uh, he he was organizing everything. I mean, between the he got what he wanted from Yankton. He uh, he even was orchestrating Bullock and and Trixie, and you know. Mm-hmm. All his plans were coming together in this in this episode. He won hands down over everybody. 
So I go with Al. All right. Mel. I'll go with Hearst just because why not? <laughs> I mean, he's new to the show and I'm interested to see where they're going to take him, I guess. So, yeah. Okay. Matt. I'm going with Andy Creamed. Uh, because he's the only person who's been able to do what we've all wanted to do and get, get true, get to sigh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty great too. Um, and now as for my character of the week, uh, I, I was really tempted to say EB because he was hilarious this episode. It just made me laugh. Uh, when it's he true. fell over on the stump, it was like, oh my god, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, but ultimately I decided I'm gonna go a slightly different direction. I'm gonna give my point to Silas for two reasons. One, I thought it was really smart when he was reviewing the documents from Yankton and he came up with the idea of, you know, changing timely fashion to we gotta have an election in six weeks and period of residence, two weeks, like, this is smart. Like, everything Al wanted and worked toward could could go away if they weren't smart when they were going after, you know, uh, when they weren't reviewing that document. Right. And yeah, it was Al's decision to get Silas to look at it, but Silas was smart enough to see it, so that's one reason, and the other reason is that he saved Dan's life, and uh, there's a little bromance happening, and I think that's great. <laughs> so, they, so that was very good, so I'm going to give uh, my point to Silas. So who do you think won the season? Al. Al won last year. Do you think he won this year too? Yes. Yeah. Well, you would. Oh, he was out of commission. For the f- oh, yeah, he was out of commission for the first few episodes. Yeah, That's- the winner is Alma with eight nominations. Wow. Yeah. Good job. She really dominated the first half of the season, but she picked up okay. a couple extra points uh, going through. So she- Alma Garrett, eight points. Alma Garrett Ellsworth. Uh-huh. I have to change her. I have to hyphenate her name in the uh, spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Alma Russell Garrett Ellsworth. Ooh. Double hyphen it. <laughs> Al had seven points, so he came in second place. Trixie was third place with six points. Guess who came in fourth? Uh, Richardson. Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> I think I picked him about five times. You picked Richardson three times. I picked him once. Uh, with three points each, Charlie Utter, Francis Wolcott, Johnny Burns. Two points each, Dan Doherty, Joni Stubbs, Martha Bullock, Silas, Adams, Tom Nuttall, Whitney Ellsworth, William Bullock. And then we got a bunch of ones. We got A.W. Merrick, Calamity Jane, Cy Tolliver, Dolly, General Fields, Jewel, Seth Bullock, Mr. Wu, George Hurst, Andy Creamed. Or Creamed. Only one point for Seth this whole season. Whoa. That's not good. <laughs> Seth, you're slipping. <laughs> That's and I thought hilarious. this was a pretty good season for him, too, because he was actually, like, he was really nice a lot of the time. Field. No, I yeah. like him better when he's rage-filled. Oh, that must be it. That is it. This episode, there was, like, no Seth. It's amazing how, I mean, did he have any lines whatsoever? Yeah, he had a couple. I think he told Martha. He oh, right, because eat. it was Martha. With yeah. Martha. Right, there were those scenes with Martha. Yeah. Well, there are just so many characters on this show that there's just not enough time to... Sometimes they go missing. <laughs> like the doc was in the episode, but he had no lines. Yep. Speaking of lines. What's that? I wonder if they get to pay them less if there's no lines. I would hope that's not the case. I don't think so. That's the case when you're an extra or whatever, but. But then yeah. you sign a contract when you're a series regular that. Yep. Probably get paid no matter what. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do quotes. As our guest, 
Sue, you get to go first. All right. Um, I've got an Al quote. Summon that cat piss smelling fuckhead and his holiness the sheriff. (laughs) 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 I love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) You smell like cat piss. Um, (laughs) Carol, your quote, please. (laughs) Your kill, sir? Who? The animal. (laughs) But he said, who? I just broke up. That was great. (laughs) And then he finishes with, uh, no, I'm a terrible shot. I work better closer in. (laughs) Yep. Yes, he did. Mel, quote for us. Allow me a moment's silence, Mr. Hurst. Uh, Sir, I am having a digestive crisis and must focus on suppressing its expression. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Matt. It actually says, sorry, it actually says in the script, Wolcott conceals a chuckle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go back and watch it, it's kind of cute. (laughs) We will, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What's next, pink fucking panties or something? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I can't fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mine is an EB quote. Get away from me, god damn you. Forgive me, excuse me. I I am mad. My hotel is also my hospital. I am my own warden. I mustn't sell, lest I then wander the thoroughfare, gibbering like a simian, brandishing my privates in my fist. <laughs> uh, he was a delight, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, Any more quotes? Uh, I've got one from Hurst when he sees E.B. walking towards him. He says to Wolcott... Looks like he stepped out of a specimen box. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and then someone gave that specimen box to Al to put the head in. <laughs> to put the Indian head in. This is Hugo and Al. May I say to you that the week since our meeting has seen me conduct with Yankton an active telegraphic correspondence, which on every count has ameliorated the terms of the proposal before you in favor of the Deadwood camp. You smell like this. <laughs> And then he says, I have worked so hard and diligently for you, Mr. Swearingen. That well may be the case. Regardless of the outcome, I am proud of that advocacy. Having said that, are you liable to say more? (laughs) (laughs) I have a question about a couple of words that came up during this episode, actually. Okay. Place or cradle, what the hell is that? (laughs) I was wondering that, too. Yeah. Well... What was the context of that? I can't remember. Just a it second. was um, they were talking about Ellsworth marrying Alma and then giving up the placer cradle. Yeah, yeah like what's that? Um, well, we just we, we have discussed it in a previous episode. We have. I just didn't remember it. I guess. Yeah, it's ba- well, you know, when they were walking through the thoroughfare, uh, when Sai went out to the thoroughfare and Hurst was in the trench. There were these guys with this contraption that was a, a plaster cradle or a, a rocker box. Basically, it's like you you put the the dirt that you dig up or whatever in oh, the top the- of the box and you pour the water over it and you like rock right. it back and forth to yes. sift it. And then it collects the gold dust and, it, and the water just drains out. That's kind of like what it does. Okay. But see, um, I think what... Ellsworth uses is, is a sluice, which is basically like a trough in a stream. So he's like in the water, and rather than pouring the water in, 
the the water just rushes in naturally and goes through like a series of channels, and that's what a sluice is. And I think that's what we we have seen uh, Ellsworth use. I wonder if he took his dog with him on the honeymoon. <laughs> Where's the dog? And I I was really wondering where they're going to live. I mean, I can't imagine Ellsworth has a very nice place, and I don't know how many houses there are to on the market in He'll Deadwood. He'll have to build a house. He'll have to have Seth build a house. Be, um, <laughs> Seth, this is really awkward, but could you build <laughs> they, a house that can live in with ra- the woman you used to have sex with? So <laughs> <laughs> I can raise your child. <laughs> they yes. could rent rooms from Seth and Martha and all move in together. <laughs> yes. Or it could be like Big Love where their houses are next to each other. <laughs> yeah. So I have another question, but another word. When uh, Alma and Ellsworth were doing their vows, and there too, I give to thee my troth. It must be <laughs> yeah. derived from the word betrothed. Is, is that it? Maybe. That's troth. that's normal in wedding ceremonies. I've, I've never heard, heard that. Troth, faith or loyalty when pledged in a solemn agreement or undertaking. Oh, okay. I've also heard it, it, re- sound I've very heard nice. it pronounced troth, but I don't know. What's it sounds right. too much like trough. Yeah, it doesn't sound nice. <laughs> I give you this trough full of slop. <laughs> Let's exchange pass. It's a hard pass. Well, they're going the to have to move out of ever... that hotel because now Hearst is knocking walls down. You know, right. we should have a new segment for this show called uh, Deadwood Word of the Day. And we should bring <laughs> up like a word that that is not commonly used and just talk about it. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it next season. <laughs> okay. It's a new segment. <laughs> okay. The only time I've I've heard that word used is in marriage ceremonies, but I have heard it used a lot in marriage ceremonies. Mm-hmm. He, um, I looked up that on IMDb, the whole Whitney Ellsworth thing. Um, they say the same thing that you read before about it says Jim Beaver, biographer of George Reeves, star of Adventures of Superman, which was produced by Ellsworth, was himself an actor on the television series Deadwood. He played a character named Ellsworth, and when it became necessary for that character to have a first name, he received permission from producer David Milch for the character to be named Whitney Ellsworth in honor of the Superman producer. Cool. So this is indicating that Jim Beaver... Yeah, came up with the idea. Came up with... I couldn't imagine that it that it wasn't... You know, as soon as they said it was producer on Superman, it was like, that has to have been Jim Beaver's doing. So no other quotes? No. Right. Well, I have one last one. Woo! America! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. So, we're taking a long hiatus, but when we return, we will return with the season three premiere, Tell Your God to Ready for Blood. Oh. Oh, jeez. Tell your God what? Tell your God to Ready for Blood. To Ready for Blood. Huh. We're gonna have a showdown between Deadwood and... The natives that live around it, maybe. I, I mean, it. My immediate thought is Sai. Same. Sai doing what? Being killed well, or doing killing? But because they, he was just talking. Uh, he was just talking to uh, to God. But do they not have? Does do he and Andy Crames not have the same God though? I'm not sure. Sai's got any God. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he just yeah, got a, a pretend God. I mean, yeah, you I know. think it's going to be their. Uh, uh, it's a bloodthirsty god, and they're just tell- telling him, "Get ready for it. We're going to bring you some blood to drink." 
and they're going to bring it to him in a serving tray. Okay. <laughs> a fancy champagne glass. Tell your god to prepare, prepare for his blood cocktail. <laughs> it's that Deadwood True Blood crossover. That... It is being prepared. Presently. God is a vampire. <laughs> plausible, plausible. Uh, what was my other prediction that I said earlier? They were going to be televangelists or something? Yeah! Yeah, that too. That uh, Sai and uh, Andy are going to team up and they're, <laughs> they're going to, uh, you know, have a, a, a revival tent or whatever. Brother Sai's Church of the Vampire God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is exactly what will happen. And they're going to require everybody to give blood. <laughs> Matt, was it yours or Carol's oh. prediction that it has something to do with Native Americans that surround the camp? I think it was I... yours. Yours, okay. Did you want to expand on that? or You're good. No, just that we haven't had any trouble with the Natives besides like the first few episodes. So right. I want to see more of that. Unless by this point in history, maybe they're all but wiped out. I don't know. Well, there was a treaty. That, that treaty that... Um has been contested. You know, like, the descendants of the Sioux, they don't want the money from the government because it acknowledges that the treaty that they signed was valid at the time. They're sort of pushed into signing the treaty. Carol, mm. do you have a prediction for next episode, the season three premiere? Um, Dye's gonna be out for blood. Um, uh, Andy's. And, let's see, what else is gonna happen? Um, Hurst and Alma are going to end up in a confrontation over her mine. Um, let's see. Do you think that Ellsworth and Alma are going to, uh, you know, on their honeymoon? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I, well, maybe. Play dominoes, yeah. That's what I was going at. Yeah, playing dominoes. Um, actually, you know what? They might, because... I think Alma may be like in for penny, in for pound type thing. You know, where it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Phrasing. Mm. If I'm going to do this, I may as well do this. Yes. In for a penny, in for a pound. (laughs) Don't they kind of have to to consummate the marriage, though? I mean. Yeah, but, you know, as as, uh, Trixie had said to her, you know, if you're worried about Ellsworth. Expecting you to have sex with him, don't don't worry well, about it. I'm sure. Basically, that he, he's yeah, he's not going to expect it from her right away. Like, I don't think he'd be that type to be like, you know, give me sex now. No, you know, he he would let her do it in her own time. You know, when if you ever. when you feel ready, yeah. If ever you feel ready, when you're ready, I'm here for you. <laughs> but, yeah. And Alma may decide, you know, I could see Alma deciding to just, you know, go for it and say, okay, I'm married, it's a marriage, let's make this a marriage. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, kind of doing a halfway sort of thing. All right, and then for a miscellaneous prediction, um, Mel, I want you to, (laughs) I want you to give us the name of a character. What, like a new character? No, no, (laughs) just of a character on the show. Okay. Uh, Any character will do. Uh, oh, Richardson. Okay. <laughs> what a surprise. So for our miscellaneous prediction, the total amount of screen time oh. of Richardson. Did in we season three this? premiere. 
No, we we've done words spoken by Richardson. Oh, no, screen time. Total, total, um, we'll go, you know, you could say in minutes or seconds, it doesn't matter. I... Do you think Richardson will stay in the employ of the hotel as well? Yeah, I think so. Now, I have no idea if Richardson is even in the premiere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this time he had, like, a second, or, you right. know, maybe less. But he might be. So... I honestly think that Richardson will be following uh, Alma and Ellsworth to their honeymoon, and he's going to be peeking around the corner every once in a while to oh. see what they're doing. I want to say 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to bless them with his antler. Aww. Mel, what do you say? Matt says 20... I say a minute. Full minute, okay. Sure, why not? It's a pivotal episode for Richardson. (laughs) (laughs) I I say 15 seconds. 15, going low. Going low. All right. And the winner in our prediction tally for this season, with a total of seven correct guesses, was Matt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Though he kind of fell out toward the the end of the season. Still (laughs) one with seven. Carol, you had three. Mel had two. I always lose. No, you I'm won surprised. last year. It's yeah, my own fault, though. You won though. last season. It's my own fault that I lose. You're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> it's true. This might be a good time to talk about what we're doing after we wrap Deadwood. Oh, yeah, okay. There have been some uh, good guesses on the Facebook group. Will suggested or th- thought that we might be doing a John from Cincinnati cast. Harold wanted us to cover The Wire. Hasso said we're going to do some sort of game show. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do a game show. Corey said the Where's Wallace podcast. I don't know. What does that refer to? I have no idea. Where's Wallace Sean? Not sure. (laughs) Oh, I think that might be, um, that might be in reference to The Wire. Yeah. Ah. It's a reference to The Wire. Mm. Not Wallace Sean. Gotta watch that show at some point. Gonna watch every movie that Wallace Sean has been in. (laughs) Um,. No, the plan for uh, post-Deadwood is that we are going to watch the premiere episode or pilot episode of every HBO dramatic series and miniseries dating back to the beginning. How many is that? Uh, It's quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, obviously this is going to include the big ones like The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, The Wire. We'll we'll come back around to Deadwood again eventually. Uh, All the, the recent ones like Game of Thrones, The Leftovers, you know. Uh, but we're going to start at the beginning, and the very first dramatic series that they did was Philip Marlowe, a detective series starring our Powers Booth. Yeah, oh, so that's cool. Be fun. That's a really good idea. I like that you guys are doing that. What year was that? Um, let me, I'm trying to big, bring up the list and of all of them. Here. I've seen an amazingly few number of them, so it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, Philip Marlowe, Private Eye, 1983. Wow. <laughs> I love the 80s. I love the 80s. Amazing. I can't wait. So we're going to do that. There's also uh, got Tales from the Crypt in here. Life Stories, Families in Crisis. The David Lynch show Hotel Room that lasted a total of three episodes. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Oz, The Sopranos. Uh, we're also going to be doing the miniseries. So we'll be doing From the Earth to the Moon, Band of Brothers. You know, um, Angels in America. Uh, I was on the fence about Angels in America because f- I think to qualify for, for this rewatch uh, project, I was going to say it has to be more than two episodes or two installments uh, or something. Oh, gotcha. Otherwise, yeah. it's a TV movie and not a miniseries. Yeah. That's true. 
But Angels in America, actually, it was broadcast uh, on HBO in one-hour installments. At That's one what point. I thought, yeah. So I think it premiered in, like, two installments, part one, part two. But then later on, it was split into six parts. Right. So I think we'll, we might watch it. But we're only watching the first hour of whatever it is this is. So it's the first episode of every drama. Or the first part of a miniseries. And then we have to move on to the next one. But that's the plan. This could be very frustrating. <laughs> well, you will see. <laughs> no one's stopping you from continuing if you like a show. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. True. And one of the questions we're going to ask when we get to the end of each one is, if, if you wanted to, would you watch more? That's going to be the question. Are you intrigued enough to watch the next episode if you had it available to you? And I hope we'll get some guests on for some of these. Anyway, that's the plan. That's uh, that's phase two of the podcast. That's great. I like that. Uh, as usual, you can find us at hooplecast.com. Go on Facebook, search Hooplecast. Twitter is at Hooplecast. You want to be in the Facebook group to get notified of when we're going to pick up with Season 3 and to grab one of those guest spots. But you can also email me, Hooplecast at gmail.com, and say, Hey, Matt, I would love an email when you're going to release the schedule, and uh, I will do that. I will personally send you a link to the schedule and uh, when the guest spots are going to be made available and all that fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Sue, we already talked a little bit about your podcast, but want to tell us again where we can find you on the internet? Sure, yes, you can find um, two different podcasts I do with my sister Emily. We are doing a Sue Watches Buffy where <clears throat> I have never watched Buffy or Angel before, so Emily is kind of guiding me through. So it's kind of an intro cast, but we're doing it different because I get to binge watch, so it's not one episode at a time and it's a lot of fun and we're wrapping up and then the other one that we do is called yes mother and it is a podcast based on the a e show bates motel which season four will be starting up in march exciting yep especially since i've been there i've been to the bates motel i know that's so exciting <laughs> all right oh, uh, did, did you go back and watch episode nine of season three of bates motel and see uh white cliff Park I haven't, whatever. but I'm going to. I will definitely do that. So, you want to take us out with a fuck you? Yeah, fuck you. It <laughs> <laughs> sounded like it was directed right she at had you. A, she, I know, she had to think about it for a while, and then she was like, you know what? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Fantastic. Alright, well, we'll see you next season, group. Alrighty. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Fuck you. <laughs> I'll miss you too. Get that pillow away from me. Get it away. <laughs> well, 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 come along. Little children, come along. Well, the moon is shining bright. We're gonna get on that boat. We'll go down the river flow. We're gonna raise a Raise a real good tonight
during our last recording because I heard a lot of clicking. Matt always does and I always yell at him like I like I make gestures at him actually like stop (laughs) 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 just just doing it (laughs) (laughs) yes but then you're going to be like (laughs) 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 that's what he's going to do you know it Hmm. so go get your phone it's silent. <laughs> you just can't help but browse. Crazy guy. Addicted to the tech. I know. He would disagree, though. I think you're in denial, though. I'm going to play uh, something from Sue Watches Buffy. Oh. Email. Okay. Crevlorn to this day. <laughs> Even this week, I was like, oh, a little Crevlorn. Aww. <laughs> it's really caught on. <laughs> it's hard not to when you come up with a nickname for someone. It's, you know, it's just hard not to call him that. It just sticks, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that one of our listeners, if ever they're like, you know, if ever they... Uh, decide to like have a baby or something that they they want to like name their baby after Crevlorn. <laughs> I think that would be great. <laughs> I, I want there to be a, a Deadwood scholar listening to our podcast who then yes. gives like a talk at like Yale or something, <laughs> and then and he's he or she is like, hey, and then little Crevlorn walk goes up to the, up the stairs, and the, and everyone in the auditorium's like, what? <laughs> is it? Oh, what did I say? Sorry. <laughs> Sophia. A little Crivlorn. <laughs> Bowler. Oh, he's not happy. Oh. Cats love to disrupt this podcast. Yeah, I'm in my bedroom. I've got a couple cats. You might they might make a appearance. <laughs> we were just doing um Defenders. Jessica Jones and the guests had a very talkative cat <laughs> in the room with them. Every every pause, like there was a meow to be heard. It was kind of funny. <laughs> I'm just glad our cats are relatively quiet. <laughs> I guess mine are. I've got one that just gets in this mood where he'll just sit right in front of me and just do the weirdest meow. 
<laughs> and it's, it's really annoying sometimes. Mm. But we'll, well see. That's, that's what cats like to do. They like to be annoying sometimes. Yeah. Let's get all of our tangents out of the way now, so when we record, we can go straight through it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not... You can't do that without Carol. <laughs> the tangent queen. <laughs> yes, she is. Nutty's the tangent queen. <laughs> yeah, she really is. <laughs> the two, so the two of them last recording, like every time I, I had to put my foot down. Yeah, every time Nutty's on, I'm always like, "Oh, this podcast is going to be like four hours long." <laughs> 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 well, that's fine. Like they like to talk, so whatever. But yes, good for you for putting your foot down, Mad. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I hadn't put together um, was when he mentioned about... Uh, well, don't keep us in suspense. <laughs> no. Oh, we lose oh she dropped. <laughs> 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 oh, of course. <laughs> Completely gone. <laughs> okay, she's back on Skype. It wouldn't be a Hooplecast recording without Carol dropping. Yep. Can you hear us, too? Hello? Yeah, we can hear I you. I can hear you, yeah. Can you hear us? Yeah. Matt, you're offline now. And, I'm not uh, offline. And you look offline to us. Well, I'm not. Or we lost uh, Sue. I'm okay. here. Can you hear me? Oh, no. It's just like, I don't know. It's just like, it looks like it's thinking mm. on our side. Okay. And you're not there at all, Matt. You've been, you're gone. Wow. Can yeah. you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Yep. I can hear everybody. Everybody, yeah. We're all here. <laughs> and Carol's back. I see, I see Carol. Carol. Wait, ooh, that's so you talk not... again. You sound like you're echoing. Can you hear me? me? Oh no, <laughs> we're in we're in the sexy cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an echo. Yeah, there's an echo. I can hear. Myself. This cave has great acoustics. <laughs> yeah, yeah Mel's echoing. Wait. Okay. <laughs> what is going on? Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, we're not echoing. No. It's Am like I still static? echoing. Can you hear the static? No. I, I can. can. Let's all okay. hang up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to hang up the call. Instead of describing how this... Okay, and the recording started. No. I'll check to see if our recording is going. Yeah, it looks like it started again. Okay, and I've added Sue. Hello. Hello. Right, check <laughs> make sure your recording is going as well. Yep. My little and thing just popped up. Now we will add Carol, who is the who is the real problem. <laughs> we'll see if, we'll see if it works. <laughs> We've had problems every time she's guested on Sue Watches Buffy. We when we started this podcast, we had a lot of issues, but we haven't had them for I would say a good long while. Oh. Bum, 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 bum. <sighs> We always, I, like all my podcasts always have one problem co-host. <laughs> it's uh, it's Claire, it's Carol. <laughs> hmm. Hello. Hi. Hello. Huh? Do you have any idea what happened? No. Nope. Oh. The internet hates us. You angered the Skype gods. Who me? Yeah. Yep. You didn't do your daily offering. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there was a treaty, that that treaty that um, has been contested. You know, like the descendants of the Sioux, they don't want the money from the government because it acknowledges that the treaty that they signed was 
valid at the time. They're sort of pushed into signing the treaty. Mm. To get Carol back. Come on, Carol. She's here. Done. We can hear her. We can hear her. I can't hear her. I can't hear her. <laughs> we can hear you, Carol. You were, but it was funny because I was wondering why you were talking and Matt was talking and I was like, what's going on? Carol, can you hear me? Can, can you hear Matt, Carol? I, I'm hanging up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Seems safest hey. to add people one at a time. What is going on today? Group. I don't know. And it, it's funny because it called in the middle of the call. It was calling again. Super As, weird. I know. Hello. Hey. We're nearly done, too. I know. <laughs> and then Carol was talking over you, Matt, and then you were talking over her, and I was like, can they not hear each other? <laughs> we're just two we're we're just two rude bastards. Who don't care. <laughs> all right, I think we're all we're all back. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I can hear everyone now. Yay. Yay. What did I miss? 